Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 72. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Raygun Bridges. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> of course. Do you think a lot of people will get that reference? I assume a lot of people will get I, that reference. I assume so. Yeah, it's a Death Stranding reference. It is. And finally, Chris and I had the opportunity because the game came out so we can buy it to start playing the game. And we're going to talk in depth about that today in just a little while. I'm really excited actually yeah, to too. talk to Chris about it because uh, I don't really know exactly what he's thinking about it. You know, I don't know. I can't I can't assume to know all these things. I'm not I can't be everywhere. OK, yeah, yeah, you're I can't not know everything. Jesus not yet. Christ, not yet, not yet. Uh, I don't wield the mystical and arcane powers that you wield in order to randomly bring these games into existence that we talk about. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get in touch with my arcane uh, third eye. Let's call it. Yeah. Third eye. Is there a third ear? Uh, yes. Yeah, I would assume so. Right. There's a third. There's a there's an additional everything. Probably addition. Yeah. Like yeah. anything you can sense. Yeah. Like a third nostril or a second nose. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you. So, thank you so much for that, Chris. All right, Chris, let's get right into what I think is some news that we we have to get it over with. We've been hiding. We've we've had a little secret, you and I. Yeah. And, you know, it's not. First of all, Chris and I have a few secrets. Some of them are romantic. We're not going to tell you about all of our secrets. Yeah. But this particular secret about sacred symbols is that, as I announced today on Patreon, and everyone can read it, whether you're a patron or not. So go check it out. Uh, I am moving. I am officially after 12 and a half years, 12 and a half years since Chris was born. Uh, I've lived in California and I'm finally leaving and I'm moving to Richmond, Virginia to be with my family. I'm going to buy a house and hang out. I'm going to be an Italian son for just a little while, you know, with my mom. I'm going to hang out with my family and kind of bounce around a little bit. I think that I think I can get away with that for a little while, you know, get get fattened up a little bit, do all that kind of stuff. But I know that people had been and I anticipated this and Chris knew that I was anticipating this. I was like, people are going to be worried about our ability to do the show remotely. What are we going to do about it? And we're doing this show remotely right now. But in secret, we did episode 69 of the show remotely, episode 71 of this show remotely, Sacred Symbols plus 10 and Sacred Symbols plus 11 all done remotely. How many people noticed? Yeah, we've done a, we've done like a bunch of them. How many people noticed? Nobody. Nobody noticed. Nobody. So. No, no, I think I think one person wrote in asking if it was because they noticed some. I don't know what it was, but we have a lot of listeners, many tens of thousands of people listen to our show and no one noticed. So I think we're good. What do you think of that, Chris? I think that's great. Super convenient for me. Definitely. I know. I think that I mean, even today, Chris was actually going to come over. I'm still in L.A. right now. I'm actually going to go to Virginia for a few weeks starting next week to just kind of hang out and start to uh, settle myself and figure out what I'm going to do there. But. I texted Chris this morning because he was going to come over. And I'm like, I mean, what's even the point of coming over at this point? <laughs> it's just you being in a car for a combined three hours of your life, wasting money. We don't. The show is just as good. The audience lets us know when something is wrong. Yeah. I mean, this is the Internet. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll, let, they'll let us know. They'll relentlessly let you know, Chris, is what yeah. they're going to do. Um, so that's happening. And I'm excited about it. Nothing changes. You guys can go read the letter. But. A lot of this really has to do with me and kind of my own emotional well-being and that I don't think that I've tended to myself appropriately in building Collins Last Stand. I think I've ignored a lot of pain and a lot of turmoil inside of myself and kind of built a wall around myself. And Chris really is one of the only people I ever see. So because Chris is one of the only people I trust. Uh, (laughs) So I have to change that. And I think part of me changing that, Chris, is going home and being around my family in Richmond, even though we are Islanders. Uh, my mom and stepdad live down there now. Both of my sisters and their families live down there. My uncle and aunt and cousin live down there. My brother Dagan's only an hour flight away. My dad is only going to be an hour flight away on the island. So I think this is going to be good for me and I think necessary. And I really wanted to make sure that we took care of the product. And yeah. we are. We took care of it. You guys didn't notice. And that's all I needed. And I I was so nervous, not only about that, but about announcing it. I was nervous that people were going to be mad at me for some reason. And the thousands of comments that I've gotten today across Twitter and Patreon and Facebook and elsewhere and tech and my phone's blowing up, all positive. So I really do appreciate and thank you so much for that. And I really do thank Chris as well, because he's really been a sounding board for me for months as I've meticulously in Colin like fashion worked through this in my mind. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been it's been a journey. 
It has. So I appreciate your patience on that, Chris. And I'm glad that you're excited and happy with it, too, because I think our show can go on for many years to come in this remote format. So oh, definitely. All right. So as people know, our ship, our show is supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We do an extra episode of Sacred Symbols each week called Sacred Symbols Plus. That is only for patrons. Last week's was an, an investigation into kind of games journalism and what's going on with Kotaku and Deadspin and the Go Media people and stuff. It's a little bit of a political conversation. You can go check that out. This week's Sacred Symbols Plus is going to be a little more lighthearted. We're going to jump back into the mailbag. And as people know, we've been saving your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas that we can't quite wedge into a normal show. So we're going to start whittling down that list as well. And I'm really excited and looking forward to do that because I, I really do feel bad. We get so many inquiries from the audience on Patreon and we just can't use them all. It's it, I feel bad about I feel bad about that. Yeah, it, it, I, I wish I could see them. I know I got to. I got to get you a Patreon like I, I really got to like lean on them now. You're you're on Patreon, too. So you know how it is with them. But yeah, it's annoying. They don't really seem to improve the product very yeah. much, you know, on the back end anyway. For the front end, I think it gets improved. But one of the things I've been asking them for is like administration access for not only for you, but for Dustin and for other people. I run a it's my business. You know, it's it's not like I'm, I'm like some dude working uh, and this is my side gig. So I don't have all the tools at my disposal. And one of those tools, uh, well, I have I have the greatest tool of all at my disposal, which is Chris. But oh. uh, I was that I mean, was funny. It was a, it was a that little was, mean. That was nice. It was a little mean. I mean, it was, it was a nice. Mean. It was like it was mean, but it was like uh, it was like East Coast uh, mean, which is like vaguely nice. I'm getting it all back into my veins. Yeah. You got <laughs> so. Yeah, we need those tools and I'll keep leaning on them because I know a lot of people are having problems with the RSS feed too. remember. Or I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. Not the RSS feed, the Patreon app. Remember that you can use our RSS feed to just not use the Patreon app. So there you go. Very easy. So look forward to that. Chris, as always, we have a few corrections, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas, notions, etc. that I want to get through before we get into what we're playing, which is uh, Death Stranding. So let's take these in the order that I've written them down here. No specific order, of course. Uh, Christian Coulter wrote into us on Patreon. He says, hey, Colin, just a quickie. Is it money or time consuming to change the album art on an episode by episode basis in the podcast feed? Those pictures that come with the podcast on YouTube look nice. Can we get them on the audio? This is a good question, Christian. So I actually make thumbnails for each episode of the show, which people on Patreon see, YouTube and certain podcast services. I don't know, Chris, why certain podcast services do not take album art on an episode by episode basis. We're uploading this album art to the to the podcast feed, to the RSS like launcher, but it's not finding its way in certain places. All the podcasts I listen to have the same issue. I use the Apple podcast app, so I don't know. I don't know how I can fix that for you. No idea. David Colin Copeland, maybe related to the great drummer Stuart Copeland from the police, says, hey, slightly by curious Colin and creamy Chris. Everyone likes calling you creamy. That is, I I don't like that necessarily. Yeah, it's it's, it's very... It doesn't doesn't conjure a nice visage. No. Very well put. Colin, how does it he has no, he takes issue with me with this thing I've been complaining about with PSVR, and I wanted to read this aloud. He says, Colin, how does it not make sense that wires come out of both ends of the PSVR processing unit? If you look at it, it's a baby PlayStation which has cords coming out of the back, which go to the TV and cords that come out of the front to charge the controller. It would make absolutely no sense to have all the cords come out of the back of the device only. On the back, all the cords go towards your PS4 and TV, and on the front, the cords come out to the thing you wear on your head. Makes perfect sense, and you are wrong. Well, Mr. Copeland, first of all, you spelt your middle name Colin with two L's. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> now, I have a problem with this, Chris, because we do complain, or I, I specifically complain about the PSVR unit having these wires coming out of both ends, but 
it's not the same as charging a controller in front of a PS4 or PS3. Everyone look at your PS4 right now and you can see how the cord in front of it is removable. And in fact, it's just a flat surface. Yeah, that looks clean. The PSVR unit looks like a homebrewed 1970s Apple computer with all the cords coming out of it and all the like the weird. It's shit very it. inelegant is the best way to put it. Indeed. I feel like. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, David Colin Copeland with two L's. David Colin Copeland with two L's. He had a problem with this, and I don't know if uh, he's alone or others also take umbrage with what I have to say about the PSVR unit. I find it quite inelegant. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think it's objectively like it, it's the, it is a very cumbersome thing. VR in general is like this. This is kind of just a problem with VR. It's just it's very just messy and inelegant and very unpleasant to look at when it's not being used and even when it is being used it's uh quietly it, it's quite uh not pleasant to see Indeed. somebody j- jumping around and sweating yeah i don't want to i mean i sweat enough just staying still yeah exactly so you can imagine what i look like when i'm playing uh psvr garrett roberts wrote into his chris he says hey cnc minor correction for episode 71 while talking about call of duty's dev cycle you said the next year's game is being developed by sledgehammer while this was initially the case, Sledgehammer and Raven were actually pulled off of the project and whatever they had developed was given to Treyarch, who will be putting Call of Duty Black Ops 5. I didn't hear anything about Black Ops 5, which is heavily rumored to be a soft reboot of the Black Ops sub-franchise similar to what the new Modern Warfare is. A lot of people wrote in about this, Chris. I huh. guess I was in error about this. Yeah. I don't know what Sledgehammer is doing then. Hopefully something else. Yeah, what the hell is that then? And of course, Precious Raven, who yeah. I've always wanted to see make a new game. but they had Poor they, Raven. I know. I don't think Raven's made a game of their own in like a decade now. So it's kind of sad. I think Singularity and that Wolverine game were the last and that was last generation. So, yeah, Garrett and others, thank you for the correction. Duly noted. Nick Yushinsky wrote into us about Shenmue, which we talked about last week for some reason. He says, hey, guys, in the last episode, you had talked about there being no hype for Shenmue 3. It comes out on the 19th for $60. And in Best Buy's leaked Black Friday ad, Shenmue 3 will be $35. That's less than two weeks from its initial release. The publisher must know this game is going to bomb. I it's saw just, that. Did yeah, you see I, that? I did see it. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, for some reason, I'm very in tune with Shenmue news, and I did manage to see this. I, I, I don't know. I think they understand that it's a niche product, and they just want to get it out to as many people who might be able to afford it and might be curious enough to buy it. I mean, we talked about this last time. It's, it's, it's such a niche game, man. It really is. It was on a system that it was on a system that was a niche system. So, like, yes. I mean, like, what are you gonna do? That's true. Yeah, Dreamcast only sold about twelve million units before it was discontinued unceremoniously in the spring of two thousand one. I remember it very well. See, two thousand one was really tough because in the spring we had Dreamcast decommissioned, as it were, and then we had nine eleven. Yeah. So it was not a it was not, it was not a great <laughs> year. But yeah, Shenmue three already preemptively discounted twenty five dollars on Best Buy's Black Friday ad, apparently the leaked ad. So if you're looking forward to playing Shenmue 3 and you can wait, and I don't see why you wouldn't be able to wait two weeks because there's so many, or there are so many games out right now and coming out, then you can save a cool 25 bucks. And then, yeah, I mean, you could subscribe to Collins Last Dance Patreon. $25 at the $2 per month level will pay for an entire year of Collins Last Dance Patreon, by the way. And that will let you get all the access to Sacred Symbols Plus and all these kinds of things. I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, just in case pitch. you're... Just in case you're looking to save some money on Shenmue 3 and that money's burning a hole in your pocket. <laughs> I'm sure we have a very large Shenmue 3 fan community. So for some reason, I, we probably do. Yeah, probably. Cameron O'Neill wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, 
During last week's podcast, you both seemed perplexed about why Ubisoft and other publishers would be announcing PS4 and PS5 games and not just one SKU. To me, it seemed perfectly clear that the reason is PS5 games will be $69.99, not $59.99. This seems in keeping with your long-held theory that game prices are bound to rise eventually. Do you guys think this could contribute to why the backwards and forwards compatibility verbiage has been cryptic from Sony? Thanks for all the hard work. Cameron might be onto something here, Chris, but God forbid that that's actually true because that's going to be really confusing to people. I don't know if I'm sold on that. I think if anything, they'd want to keep prices the same specifically because the digital storefronts are now like the main way that people buy video games and also because they've got all these subscription services that are hooking people onto the platform. So I don't actually necessarily think there is as much of a need for a rise in price as there used to be now, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's all about, like you're saying, it's about volume versus price. And the the argument always goes in economics that if you lower the price, you can push more volume. And theoretically, if your margins are high enough, you can actually make more of a profit by selling more at at, at a a lower price. I mean, that's just basic economics. But uh, what's confusing to me about Cameron's idea here is is he's on to something, I think, because I do think game prices are going to ubiquitously go up next generation. But with PS5's forwards compatibility, it really does put people in a dicey situation because if the PS5 version of Watch Dogs Legion or whatever is 70 and then the PS4 version that goes in your PS5 is 60, then that just means that P- no one's going to buy PS5 games, even if they have a PS5, which Sony might not care about or the third parties might not care about. But that's why I think that all of the game prices have to go up on a console or in an ecosystem. So you can release Ghost of Tsushima as a PS4 game natively at $60 and keep it there. But Killzone, whatever, five is going to cost $70. I think that's the way it's going to go. No, yeah. if anything, it would make more sense to have them be the same price. So that way you're like, oh, well, I might as well just get the PS5 one. Yeah, that's a good point. Because why would I get the why would I get the probably worse one? Maybe I don't if however the hell they're doing this. I just (laughs) I just feel like we're going to be talking about this for just ad nauseum for months. It's going to be it's going to be a relentless conversation. I don't know. I, I, I'm excited to learn more simply so we don't have to have the conversation, but we'll have it. I mean, if that's what you want, we'll have it. Fuck it. Jordan wrote into us, said, fellas, I was initially going to let this slide, but I feel like the information is too important to go unsaid. And this is a weird one. And I don't know, Jordan, but I'm going to read it and we'll, we'll, we'll really get into this. He says, last week, we were all lamenting a young man that shit himself on a date and how it <laughs> probably ended poorly for him. I can't believe I have to say this, but if you shit yourself in public, go into a bathroom stall, clean yourself up, take off your underwear and dump them in the trash. Going commando until you get back home is a vast improvement over walking around with shitty underwear. If this information just saves one date, the three of us will be heroes for having disseminated it to the masses. Uh, May you go forth with draws on chat. Now, Jordan, I feel like you're really jumping the gun here because last week when we talked about the young man who went on a date and shat himself, I don't feel like we had any detailed information that he just kept did, did we talk about how he just kept the underwear his dirty underwear on i, I mean no i assume that no he went he to the bathroom why yeah why would you why would you do that yeah i don't see that seems so that seems like such a bad like even just from a, a basic mammalian survival instinct standpoint like it seems like you would like <laughs> you'd not want to walk around in ruined underwear and people got plenty of underwear it's not like a it's not like a nice shirt right where you're like oh man i don't want to throw my nice shirt away you know, there's, he definitely threw it away. There's like that's that's a strange assumption on your uh, assumption on your part, Jordan. Yeah, Jordan, I think. I mean, do you have a scat fetish? I mean, you could be honest with me. I'm not going to judge you. If you, you can't do. be honest with me. I will. I will judge. I will. Judge. Chris is going to judge you for sure. But I mean, I guess my I don't know, because if I want to know what the nature of this chart was, because if it was not that catastrophic, 
where it's just a little bit on your cheeks and it's a little bit on your... You could probably clean it up thoroughly enough to keep your underwear on. No, 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 no. No. Because then no, you, you really away. risk... Then you risk... that. I mean, because then you have nothing. No barrier to potential further disaster. I mean, this is kind of what I'm talking about. I'm, but how I'm many very... times? How many times have you shit yourself more than once in a day, though? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's like... That's not a... That's not like a like a shotgun scenario. Sure. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't think I've shit myself more than once on a day in a day. I mean, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. You know, now I got an endoscopy and colonoscopy a few times and I had to clean myself out for that over like an 18 hour period. And I was I mean, you don't. <laughs> Holy moly, dude, the things that they give you and the things they tell you to go to go buy and take so that you clear yourself out for the for the procedure. You've never seen a situation quite like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm put, quite glad. I'm quite glad I have not. Let's just put it like that. Uh, finally, before we get into the games we're playing, Brad E. wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, I write seeking your sympathies and advice. I consider myself an adult and like to think I can handle life's troubles, but I've been shaken to my core. Yesterday, I played Rocket League online and was ruthlessly bullied by a gang of children. <laughs> I was relentlessly bombarded with such hateful things. We cannot even speak of them. I'm a sensitive guy, and these kids just eventually got to me and started. I started sweating, could barely hold the controller. The little bastards mentally broke me. When my wife came home, I wept in her arms like a little baby. So I asked, what does a man do when one does when, when one does not shit talk? How about you two? You always get pushed around. How do you cope? My wife said she's going to sell my PS4 if I keep crying. Please help. <laughs> and thanks for the support. Well, thank you, Brad. I don't. I, I assume you're joking, but maybe you're not. I've always been kind of interested in this, Chris, because you're more of an online, much more of an online gamer. You hear people, you talk to people online. For sure. What do you do when you don't want to shit talk? See, or you don't want to play that game, you know, and you just want to play the game you're playing. In other words, you don't want to play the metagame. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very it's very rare that I don't feel like relentlessly bullying people who don't deserve it. But sure, sure. on the off chance that I don't, I just mute people. You can mute people pretty easily. I usually do that anyway when I just when I'm playing a game and I'm trying to relax. Even when people are nice and they're saying like, "Oh, nice work," I'm like, "I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you." Uh, so I'll just go through the menu and uh, go through the roster and just mute everybody preemptively most uh, most of the Smart. time. Smart. Smart. Uh, but uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta toughen up, man. They're just children. They're yeah, gonna you be you know depressed real soon. I know. Uh, yeah. I mean, wait until those children are adults and they Not even uh, adults. Wait until you're like. Wait until they're like vaguely, vaguely 18. Right. And then they're going to be already like smitten with uh, with disaster and loss They're, I mean, they're going to especially in this generation, they're going to be used to it. They're going to be real used to it. Uh, yeah. Do you think Brad, do you think Brad really had a nervous breakdown when he was playing no. Uh, <laughs> no. Rocket League? No, I don't think so either. But I do think he got trash talked by children, though. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that that's rough. I'm afraid of kids. I, haven't we talked about this on the show in the past? Like, I'm, I'm scared of kids uh, because they're so judgmental. Kids are scary because they're honest and they have they they've not yet developed empathy yet. Right. And you're not you're not quite sure whether or not, you know, a kid is like fully like there as far as like just having basic human <laughs> human consideration. Yeah, it's it's too much. Like I, I was supposed to go uh, read a book. I think I talked about this on the show. I was supposed to go read a book to like my nephew's class and I, I wasn't able to uh, for unrelated reasons. But I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, these kids are these kids going to like harass me and make fun of me because I'm fat or something, you know, or like I'm ugly. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things out there you got to worry yeah, about. Yeah, like I remember being a kid and being like, that guy's a, that guy's fat and dumb. Yeah. You know, I, I remember probably saying that verbatim. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, children are mean. They're very mean. Yeah. 
And really, I mean, in this 21st century life, they have not very little to live for at this point. So no, exactly. except for except for Fortnite, like the kid, that video of the kid beating the shit out of the bush outside his house. He, <laughs> I, love, I love that. Video. That's like one of my favorite. That's videos the only ever. positive thing that I, I uh, associate with Fortnite. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. We're both playing Death Stranding. Uh, yeah. Steven Stabler wrote into us. He said, hey, guys, not a question, but a comment. I kind of like that you aren't getting games early anymore. Normally, gaming podcasts talk about a game, and by the time the public gets to play, they have already moved on to talking about the next new game. For example, Death Stranding. I'm playing it without knowing what you guys think of it yet. It's like we get to experience it together. Anyway, just a silver lining of the industry shitting on you. <laughs> that's, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's no, it is. a nice, wholesome idea. It's it's kind of relieved a stress valve in my own mind for me as well. It's stressful to not have the games and not have access. And, and some people do send us games. I don't want to make it seem like no no one sends us games, but uh, not having to play games or not feeling the need to like be part of the conversation in quotes, as we used to say at IGN. I hate that fucking term. Kind of stress free for me because it doesn't seem like the audience really cares. So, yeah, that's it's super nice. good. It's like a lot of I, I find that that's like a common opinion with most content nowadays. It's like people will wait for like people will wait for Dunkey to say something and it's fine because it's Dunkey's opinion. He could be like years late, really. Right. And you're the new as we understand, you're the new Dunkey. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. The podcast I'm hilarious. Version. You are. You're very funny. Now, Chris, uh, let's talk about Death Stranding. What do you think of Kojima's new game? I was really looking forward to hating it. And I I knew for a moment for from the second I heard the pitch for it I was like this is this is terrible I'm gonna hate this this is gonna be a disaster and somehow I really really love it I did not anticipate feeling that way and I'm kind of still kind of whiplashed by that but it does something super cool that I just didn't anticipate and it just I think it's just the the gameplay of it the story I, I still feel is like I don't know what the hell's going on I don't really care that much. But man, this gameplay is so mundane and also somehow super engaging. I, I don't know what the hell is going on. It's funny, man, because 
I feel a similar way in the sense that I anticipated being bored or unimpressed by this game. And now I've not or I didn't, I should say, pay too close attention to the different developments of it and the trailers. I really stopped watching everything about, I would say, like three years ago, maybe. Uh, and I, I saw a little bit of gameplay and I know a little bit about what the game was and all that. But I just I like to stay say I'm doing the same thing with The Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima, where I'm trying to stay away from games that I'm really looking forward to and anticipating. But I must admit that I was also not really paying attention to Death Stranding because I just thought it looked kind of stupid. Yeah. And I'm with you. I don't know that I'm like in love with it, but it's one of those games that really sets itself in your head and. People had been people have been talking about the Kojima bump. We talked about the Nintendo bump and the Naughty Dog bump and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Did this game get a Kojima bump? Yeah, it probably did. But the ironic thing about this game to me is, is that. Well, because people are asking, Chris, it, it, could anyone would anyone care about this game if Kojima didn't make it? Would it, would it have this crazy level of hype and sales success and critical success? And my answer is like, no, it wouldn't. But. No one would would have been able to make this game, not because they wouldn't have been unable to, but because Kojima is one of the very few game creators that can go demand $100 million to make his game and come up with a result just like this. So that's what I think the most interesting thing is about Death Stranding is that, yeah, Kojima is giving this game a bump, but it comes from his mind. And really, he's one of the only f- people that would have really been able to realize this game as it is. Does that make any sense? So, no, yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, I, I don't even know if there's necessarily a bump now because, like, there's so many reviews that are like, this is garbage <laughs> or this is like, this is not fun. This is bad. And I, it makes total sense. This is like a very specific kind of game that your average person might not be totally down for. I don't know if it got a bump as much as a Metal Gear game would have gotten a bump because, like I like I said, like I, I like Metal Gear just fine, but I don't really care about Kojima, I hated Metal Gear Solid 4, like, with a burning passion. Like, I couldn't stand it. Yeah, I didn't like, like it much like, either. It's one of my least favorite games, I think, probably of all time. And the fact that I can go into this game, looking at Death Stranding, no hype, expecting to really, really not like it, and somehow come out genuinely, really, really appreciating it, and genuinely enjoying most of my time, if not pretty much all of it, with it, I, I think that says something. Uh, I think that says there's something there. And I don't really know how to really talk about it because it's it is a walking sim. It's a walking simulator, but not in like a derogatory way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a mechanical walking simulator. Yeah, Uh, we actually actually have a letter about this from Michael Casper, who said, hey, CNC, for all the talk about Death Stranding being a walking simulator, it's got to be the best damn walking I've ever experienced in my life. The walking is it better, Michael, than the walking in your real life? The walking is the moment to moment gameplay. Just like Destiny is a shooter, Death Stranding is a walker. I've never seen something so mundane be so engaging where you're trying to carry as much as possible, balance, avoid the BTs who are the enemies in the game, keep your cargo and containers at 100% strength and traverse treacherous landscapes, all while you have this towering sofa-sized load strapped to your back. Really curious to hear your thoughts on the game and whether you fall into the pretentious Kojima or industry pioneer Kojima camp after experiencing the first few hours of the game. Well, I think we've already mentioned that last part, Michael. I think that it's a little bit of both. But I, yeah. I think they I think they come together and you can only get this game out of Kojima. Now, for me, Chris, I was here's my fundamental confusion about Death Stranding. And this was my confusion going way back was Metal Gear Solid five came out four years ago, almost to the date. Actually, we're recording this. It came out four years and 10 days ago from the time mm-hmm. we're recording this. It was it, I remember it was. Oh, no, it was actually longer than that. I thought it was November 1st. It was actually September 1st, as I recall. So a little more than four years ago. 
And assuming the exit with Konami, Kojima takes a little bit of time. He, he t gets his team together. He figures things out. He ultimately gets with Sony. You you have to shove the calendar to at least 2016, right? Yeah. And I was confused. I'm like, how the fuck did they make this game so quickly? And <laughs> I realized when I was playing it exactly how they made the game so quickly. With very rare exception, there are no enemies in the game. The game's completely empty. Any of the AI you encounter is basically on a computer or on these little consoles. So yeah. in other words, there's not much to build apart from the expansive world, the menu-based systems, and the story. And yeah. when you when you think about it through that lens, I'm like, okay, three and a half years, including about 75 people from Gorilla that worked on the game because it's a Decima running game. I'm like, okay, that makes a little more sense. So that was one of the things that I walked away with when I was playing it was I was like, it. It's not that hard to believe that they made this in three and a half years, actually, because yeah. there's because there's not that much to it when you really think about it. It's not like no. this game. It's not really evolving. It's not really AI driven. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of surface stuff. There's not like a bunch of levels and like a bunch of different, you know, scenarios that you have to play through or anything. But man, is this is a beautiful game. This is a crazy good looking game. It does look great. It it's does insane. look great. He says, uh, like, pretentious Kojima, an industry pioneer. It's like, it's it's weird because I feel like Kojima thinks he's brilliant in all the ways that he isn't. But he is brilliant. It's, like, weird. Like, this is this gameplay system is super cool and super new and super interesting, and I love it. But I feel like he just, he, he thinks his stories are so incredible when I just feel, I don't feel it. I don't feel it with the story. It's, like, really stilted dialogue, really over-explained. I guess that's just kind of him. It's like how Quentin Tarantino always has these, like, you know, really dialogue-heavy sequences where not really much happens. I don't know if you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that yet. That's a very much, like, nothing happens kind of movie. And it's a movie that really only he could make because he has the, you know, the clout to demand, you know, the ability to make such a thing. And I feel like it's, it's the same thing here, but, like, uh, I think the gameplay systems here and the social systems here and just the, the the traversal mechanics and the sprawling nature and the loneliness of the map, it, it makes this weird kind of vaguely multiplayer Shadow of the Colossus kind of hiking game that's somehow really incredible. I don't really get it. Yeah, I, 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 like I, if, I, if I was an, an executive at Sony, I, I would not have greenlit this because I would have thought like, how, how could you even do this? Well, that was my that's kind of my point is that I think that when people are talking about the industry pioneer, the Kojima or the pretentious Kojima, would anyone care about this game if not for, for Kojima? We've had a similar situation with Zelda Breath of the Wild, which uh, kind of is parallel to this. It just is one of those things where I think it's just a perfect storm where this game just comes in this specific environment from this specific person. It's only possible that way. So we would have never had to answer this question because I don't think we would have been able to even have gotten it uh, yeah. from anyone else. And I feel like, Chris, that I mean, in, in my opinion, I feel like this game was greenlit really quickly. And I think that this game could have gone either way. And they made something. Here's the thing. And this is what I tweeted about. Uh, when I was playing it for the really getting into it this past weekend was there really isn't anything like this. Like when you play a game, you can find its facsimiles elsewhere in the world or what inspired it. But I've never played anything like this. I, I mean, I've been playing games for 30 years of my life, and I don't think I've ever played a game even remotely like this. And so 
finding something like that in the AAA space where you usually find new experiences for better or for worse in the indie space, I think is actually probably the most extraordinary feat of Death Stranding is that it's a AAA game that is not like anything else in the AAA space. And that's exceedingly fucking rare. So that's what I really love about it personally. Yeah, I would agree with you. Now, as far as the story is concerned, now I, I should point out we're going to do a Sacred Symbols Plus episode all about this game, and we'll do one about the Outer Worlds later on, too. So we'll, we'll touch on both of these games, both of those games in deeper ways in terms of mechanics and story and obviously solicit tons of your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas when we do that. But I will touch on just briefly the story. I, I disagree with you in the sense that I think the story, while incredibly heavy handed, is quite timely. And maybe it's just where I am in my own life right now, but it's it's resonating with me in a weird way where it's kind of like journey back in 2012. Yeah, it's actually, they're yeah. actually kind of similar games in a way in, in some respect where you're experiencing this really ethereal and strange experience with other people around you, though you don't really get to interact or know them and draw different conclusions on your experience. And so from that angle, uh, I've really enjoyed it as well because I don't really care for the whole reconnecting America thing and all this and his obsession with America and American politics is obviously well known and established throughout the Metal Gear franchise. But I like the the underlying message of interconnectivity and 21st century sadness and this idea that we don't we don't give into each other anymore in a weird interpersonal way. Like one of the cool things that he establishes in the story early on, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's so early in the game is if you read one of the pieces of intel you get, they talk about how society started to go towards where we are now in our, in the real world, which is like an automation and no one wanted to do anything. And then we actually tried to reverse it and go back. But we couldn't. And I think that that's so prescient. Yeah. And and I, I, I like it. And I don't know. See, that's what's interesting about this game is it being incubated for so long it didn't seem as timely back when he was, I guess, forming this idea. It seems so timely now, though. And that's I, so I I know that the story is a little weird and a little, you know, it's, it's full of ephemera and we and we weird shit. And I don't know how much of it matters. And there seems to be a bunch of MacGuffins in the game. And but I like it. I think yeah. it's I think it's really cool. I definitely don't hate it. I just think there's a really interesting world there that is that is that needs to kind of hop over these barriers of, of his like stilted dialogue to really shine, you know, like I like the world and I like the, the intrigue of the characters and like the, the, the themes of it are really cool. But I just feel like, man, if Guillermo del Toro could just like not explain everything to me, like he's a, like he's a game manual, that'd be really sick. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And I like how it's just his body, but they have like someone else doing the voice. Because I guess they could because I, I guess Guillermo del Toro couldn't be asked to sit in a fucking, you know, VO booth for a day and read some lines. So that yeah, was interesting, I thought, as yeah, well. Yeah, it is cool. But it is a it is a game that I would I don't even know. I don't know if I could recommend it necessarily because it's just so strange, but I would recommend experiencing it. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, sure. Like, it's such a niche thing. It feels like I, I don't know how many people are really going to resonate with this. I've already seen like a drastic mix of opinions on it people either really like it or really hate it there's very few people who are iffy on it and it does feel like a game that you can't really be iffy on i i would pay attention to it though like this is really cool there's nothing like it definitely surprised me and it's definitely on my list of like possible 
game of the years, depending on how the, re- how the rest of the year shakes up. But man, this is cool. And I'm excited to just, I'm excited to just play it, honestly. Like, I want to play it right now. Yeah, me too. I think about it a lot, which is which is funny. Like, I don't know. It, it took a little bit for me to warm up to it. I know that everyone's saying that you really have to get through chapter three for the game to really expand itself. And I'm towards the end of chapter three now. So I think I'm getting to that point. But yeah, up to that point, I've I've really I've really enjoyed it. And I can't say why Like, I can't. I can't help but think of like the FedEx or UPS driver that listens to our show that goes home and plays games and then they're going to play Death <laughs> they're Stranding. Deliver packages. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a little meta, but I have to give it up to them. Like this is this really is something unique. And whether that's good, unique or bad, unique is up to the uh, to the player. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I for me, I, I really look at that specific uniqueness in the AAA space and I just I become enamored with it because we have. We have games that are so samey that we literally call them like Ubisoft type games or checkbox yeah. games and open world shooters. And these are all great. But I like this. And hey, man, it's another one of these games that where you really don't have to be violent. And I enjoy and, that. Too. Yeah, I, I've been I've been running away. From, I haven't fought a single thing. I've been avoiding combat like crazy. <laughs> and it's actually super and it's actually super intense. It's scary. Like, I, remember, I remember being chased by like these people who were trying to steal my cargo or whatever. The mules. Yeah, the mules. And I was like on this treacherous mountain and I was like, oh, my God, I've got to I've got to run so fast, but I'll lose my balance and fall if I'm if I'm not super careful. And it was like probably the most stressful situation I've ever played in in any kind of open world game like this, where I where I get spotted by something. and I'm just trying to like the, the map is an enemy. And that's so cool. That's sick, man. I, I love it, man. I, yeah, I, that's I that's really well put. I, I, the ma- I like, too, that they there's just no option to put a HUD on the screen, like a map HUD or a radar. Yes. Yeah. So you're always kind of going blind. And that is in itself a unique kind yeah. of situation. I don't know how I feel about that, but. But yeah, me too. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, I wish I, I wish I kind of had a marker, but I, I learned to kind of get over the fact that I didn't. The only complaint I have is honestly the UI. Like I, I, the UI is like, be like a mess. I, I'm pretty sure I'm only figuring out how to use it successfully just by sheer accident. Um, I feel like I've just been stumbling into the right ways to use it. It seems like it get the menus give you a lot of information you don't need, and yeah. they are busy as hell. It's so funny. I don't understand what happened with Kojima. It happened around Peace Walker, I guess, when he just started becoming obsessed with like rankings and repeatable missions and so like this wasn't at all what metal gear and this isn't a metal gear game but this isn't what all co like even with zoe and other games that kojima worked on wasn't at all the way he operated and then suddenly out of nowhere he became really interested in repeatable missions ranks all those kinds of things and i think that this in some way is like the inevitable conclusion of that yeah what I like about Death Stranding, too, is that I don't I mean, I haven't seen the ending, so maybe it's a crazy ending. And I've only met the villain of the game once so far, who's played by Troy Baker. Uh, and, and the villain is excellent. I really, really like the way the villain looks and the kind of Egyptian flair that they give the character, I think, is like really weird and really <laughs> yeah. very, very <laughs> Kojima, which is cool. And I like also the naming conventions in this game, just like Metal Gear Solid 3 had the naming <laughs> conventions. Die Hard Man. Yeah, Die Hard and like Heart Man and all these kinds of things. Pretty cool. Reminds me of like the Fury and the Pain or whatever those guys were back. I think in Metal Gear Solid 3. So there's a lot to really enjoy here, but there's more for us to get into. Shamar Lomax wrote in, said, greetings, C-dubs. 
With Death Stranding now available to the masses, I want to know your thoughts on the varied reviews of the game. I feel some reviewers were very lazy in their assessment as painting this game as just a walking simulator when the game has so much more depth, but yet praise games like Breath of the Wild, which is very similar to the overall structure of the game with traversal, inventory management, and simplified combat. Do you think the overall trend of saying this game is boring affected some of these reviews? I understand that everyone is entitled to their own taste, but it seems like a few of these critics didn't progress far enough into the game past chapter three to give a fair assessment. Keep up the great work. Well, as I always say, Chris, and I'll say to Shamar, if you want to see how far a critic got in a game, just go look at their trophies. There's there's no way to hide it. There's just yeah. there's no way to hide. So if you f- first of all, if someone reviewed the game only getting into the third chapter of what is like a, what a 10 chapter game or something like that, they should be totally embarrassed. So if you know who's doing that, then you should definitely not trust that person anymore. But I and Chris had talked about this. I see how a person goes into this game and doesn't like it. I mean, I, I totally see that. Yeah. And I don't know that there's going to be much gradient, as Chris said earlier, to whether you like it or not. I think it's going to be like very situational and unique to each person because I can see someone playing this game and be like, this fucking sucks. And I can see someone playing the game and be like, this is the most enamored I've been with a video game in years. I can see both, both of those yeah. things. Jacob Klusterhouse wrote into us, said, hey, Colin, an incredibly nearsighted Chris. <laughs> My question is mostly for Colin, but how do you feel about, about Platinums like in Death Stranding that take 175 hours? This is a huge turnoff for me, and because of it, I will never consider trying to platinum it. What is the maximum amount of hours you will spend to platinum a game? Not 175 hours. When I saw that, Chris, for the so first time. So what is time, this? There's a, there's a trophy that takes 175 hours to get, or what's the what's the? Yeah, so the cumulative platinum trophy apparently is predicted to be 125 to 175, according to PowerPix. P, that's Power PYX, which is a website. I used to think PowerPix was actually like one person that was just an incredible workaholic, but that's not actually true. And they make these great trophy guides. Now I've criticized their trophy guides in the past because I always think that they actually underestimate how long platinum trophies take. So when I saw the 170 hour prediction, I was like, Oh no, because I've never hit like they predicted something like four to eight hours or something from medieval. And it took me like way longer than that. Uh, So I feel like it's really annoying, but what's confusing to me about death stranding trophies. And I'm sure you've noticed this, Chris is they give you trophies like crazy in this game. So the fact that you have to like slowly stack up your trophies and to get the platinum itself will take 175 hours while I'm 20 hours into the game and I have 30% of the trophies already. I just feel like that's a little unbalanced and not fun. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's more of a thing for trophy people. I, I don't really. I, I see a trophy and I'm like, oh, neat. Okay. I don't, and I don't think about it until the next thing comes up. In fact, I kind of, I kind of find them distracting. I, I usually turn notifications off for trophies. Oh, interesting. Especially because they tend to just ruin gameplay recordings that's true um they do do that yeah but yeah i don't know it's it definitely doesn't bother me i i could so 175 hours though that's a that's a that's a bit it's weird because sony first well this isn't this is technically a second party game but sony published games typically well they have a really varied look and feel to them like the uncharted games are one thing the last of us had the incredible multiplayer trophies that we won't have to worry about with the last of us part two thankfully but then you have games like god of war and days gone that just take time and effort to get them and then you have a game like death stranding that is virtually impossible to get unless you want to like play death stranding full time so i i i don't know i feel like that's a design flaw i don't know why you'd want someone to play your game that long (laughs) you know i can't imagine making a game where i would want anyone to play it for 175 hours that what a, it's a little I, absurd. Yeah, maybe maybe a game like this, but I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even, I can, I'm certain that I've played 
Destiny 2 for longer than 175 hours. Well, I suppose that's a little different. Those are persistent games, but yeah, yeah. this is a, I don't know. Like, I just don't, I can't, I like Death Stranding a lot and I can't see myself in 175 hours no, still liking not. it. But we'll, <laughs> but we'll see how that all goes. Uh, and finally, uh, Chris, well, actually, uh, yeah, we have one more question about Death Stranding. We have one more question after that, actually. But Dwayne Hankins wrote a note and said, hello, gents. Curious if you saw Martin Scorsese's op-ed in the New York Times. I was particularly struck by this paragraph, quote, in the past 20 years, as we all know, the movie business has changed on all fronts, but the most ominous change has happened stealthily and under cover of night, the gradual but steady elimination of risk. Many films today are perfect products manufactured for immediate consumption. Many of them are well made by teams of talented individuals. All the same, they lack something essential to cinema, the unifying vision of an individual artist, because, of course, the individual artist is the riskiest factor of all, end quote. Do you see this happening in games? Has it already happened? I can't help but think of games like Death Stranding, which has a mixed bag of review scores, but the unifying vision of Kojima as its main selling point. Now, I feel like Martin Scorsese wrote this op-ed in light of his comments about Marvel movies that were kind of controversial. Did you see? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he said they weren't cinema or something. Right. So I feel like this is him like kind of writing and maybe trying to make that a little better. But with his with whoever he upset about that, which were probably a lot of people in the industry. But it's interesting. Dwayne's point is interesting because you don't have many games. And as we've discussed in the past, this was an attempt with Activision and Electronic Arts in the 80s to kind of overcome this, but they weren't able to, to have a guy like Kojima at the front. Now, Kojima being Kojima is one of the reasons that Konami wanted to get rid of him because he was bigger than them. And it's hard to get money and runway to make games like this when you are a Kojima. But I'll just reiterate what I've said. It's just a very unique situation. And I feel like Death Stranding is a nice realization of what an auteur, so to speak, yeah. can accomplish for video games. And so I like a lot of people get mad. And I think it's funny, like when you start Death Stranding up, Kojima's name appears like 7000 times in the credits. Like yeah. if you it's like this, it's like it'll be like one person, then Hideo Kojima and then this and like Hideo Kojima will come up again. And I, I thought that was funny and I definitely noticed that. But I feel like. With a guy like Kojima doing a game like Death Stranding, everything kind of funnels through his heart, through his mind, through his soul. And so you can understand it, I guess, through that perspective. Like one of the really interesting things that I think is in Death Stranding that I'm really surprised, not that I've really been seeking out too much, but that I'm surprised I haven't seen anyone talk about is that the game is categorically pro-life. The game has a massive pro-life message in it. It's not even hidden. And you can look at that as being like a Japanese culturally conservative thing, or you can look at that as being a Kojima Productions thing. But no, I think that's Hideo Kojima. And so it's cool to, we, you know, Scorsese here is an example. It's just cool to see movies through that lens. And I like that we're able, I, I wish that there were more like this, more people. There really like aren't many people in games that are like this. I can think of maybe, and even then it's like, it's like a varying quality. It's like, it's like Hideo Kojima, David Cage, I guess. You could qualify as one of those people who just sort of does the thing that he wants to do uh, to varying degrees of success. Right. I know Ken Levine is somebody that I respect a lot, but I can't think of many. It's not nearly as much as there are in like music or film. It's it's interesting. Yeah, definitely not. And even when they have a studio like Naughty Dog with Neil Druckmann is really the creative powerhouse of that studio. Now, they never really make it about him. And Neil, I think, to his credit, tries to not make it about him, too, which is. Yeah. Something that David Cage doesn't do very well, although I will t I'll give it to PlayStation. I mean, they publish David Cage's games and they publish Kojima's games. And I think the biggest question we have now 
especially in light of this word that Kojima kind of wants to make films and stuff, which has been coming out over the last week. Are they going to lock this guy down for another game? Are they going to make this studio first party? Does Kojima not want this Kojima Productions not even want to make another game? Or are they doing it just to get some capital? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered now in, in regard to this. You know, what's interesting. I, I really feel like this a game like this and we've been seeing it uh, more and more as as um, as video games have become more and more like powerful and more popular and more and technology is advanced. I think we're seeing a new age of kind of not uh, interactive cinema, not in the sense of like Until Dawn or like or the fact that we have like very narrative focused games, but we have video games seen as a medium where like actors are getting a- attached to them in ways that they're pretty proud of. You know, so I don't even know if Kojima necessarily would need to make a movie at this point because I feel like we're reaching a point where so many actors would totally be down to be in a Hideo Kojima game or like even, uh, you know, plenty of games moving forward. It's a really yeah. interesting yep. time. And especially now because making a Marvel movie, how different is it from making a game at this point? Like you stand in a green room, you're covered in dots, you know, half of it's CG anyway. The, I feel like the lines are really blurring here. That's a great point. And I think also he's gotten such a star studded cast to be in this game to begin with. Yeah. Nicholas Winding Refn is in it. Like what? <laughs> like he's like a director. He's actually kind of like a Kojima, actually. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely there's definitely much to learn about this entire development experience, about how quickly games can be made. And I, I feel like, I mean, I, I want to leave it here for now because I think we'll talk about this much more, yeah, depth, obviously, in this in the uh, spoiler cast later on. But I underestimated Kojima and I'll be the first to admit it. I, I think that I think that when you because I can relate to this when you leave a job or you move on and you take like the first thing that comes to you or whatever, or people start offering you things and you're eager to say yes to them. It felt like. That's what happened with Kojima and PlayStation. And I think that that might be true. But I think that they were able with Decima and with the help of Gorilla and obviously the sheer amount of talent at Kojima Productions and Sony First Party, they pulled this game together and it's much more than I thought it was. And it's much more impressive than I thought it was. And I think that even if a person doesn't like the game itself, I, I would I would be hard pressed to imagine a real gamer. I don't want to use that term, but a like a hardcore gamer, I'd be hard to uh, to imagine a person not turning this game on and being like, yeah, this isn't for me, but this is kind of impressive in terms of what it tries to do. It's kind of how I feel about like Fortnite, where I'm like, yeah, this game's super fucking impressive. I don't want to play it, but uh, you can't deny <laughs> yeah. what it does right. And so no. I'll be interested in the long tail of this game, the sales of the game, especially this fall. A lot of interesting stuff to be in, uh, to, to watch yeah, out for. For sure. Chris, before we bail out, though, I do want to read Graham Lee's question, which has nothing, in fact, to do with Death Stranding. He says, hey, lads, is Fallen Order on your radar at all? I am pumped for it and have pre-ordered it, which I don't usually do, but I had cash a month back and wasn't sure if, it, if I would on release. What do you think of it from the preview stuff so far? And will EA send you a copy? Well, I've asked EA for a copy, but haven't heard back yet. And to be honest with you, I don't care to get an early copy because I have no room to even play it, even if I got it. The only reason I actually started even crawling around is because our friend Bunty was asking me for an EA contact. So I reached out to my EA contact and got a bounce back. So I guess he quit. So then I had to kind of go in there and try to figure it out. But I'm looking forward to the game. I think it looks really cool. The problem yeah. is, is that there's just so much keeping me busy right now that 
like I really want to get through the Outer Worlds and Death Stranding before I even bother playing Fallen Order or Call of Duty. Yeah, no, it's, I'm in I'm in a similar position, but like I I don't know what it is with EA, man. They they really like to just do respawn dirty. Like I I've seen very little marketing for this. I've seen I've heard nothing about it other than like maybe like a, a handful of previews. It's really strange how willing they are to just not advertise for respawn games. I don't get it. I wonder I mean, it makes you a little nervous, right? I wonder if the game's good. No, I mean, I mean it's that, probably great, honestly. It makes me, if anything, it's like, oh, it's probably another Titanfall 2 situation where we got a fucking brilliant game that they just don't give a shit about for some reason. <laughs> like, like I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, no, I'm just like weirdly kind of okay with it. But it's at the same time, it's like, it's got to suck for respawn. Like, it, it's, it, it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, by the time we're recording this, four days, I think it comes yeah. out. Uh, so actually, it go, but by the time when this goes to public feeds, free feeds, it'll be Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order will be out. I'm looking forward to playing it, but to the point that uh, was made by Graham here, you know, I I don't have much excitement for it because what Chris said is true. I, I think I've seen a few ads for it on YouTube videos and stuff, but and it's not like I've been going out of my way to look for it. But I feel like a lot of this has to do with like the diminishing returns that Star Wars is creating, which I think was predictable. Uh, I, I think a lot of it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement about episode nine. And I think people are Star Wars out. I watched this one web or watch this YouTube channel. It's really funny called world shit or world class bullshitters. And uh, I listen to it in the background sometimes. And this guy goes to like toy stores sometimes and just looks at the Star Wars section of the and like makes fun of it because like <laughs> it, because it's they're really subtle signals that Star Wars just is losing incredible amounts of cachet and it starts on the ground with people not buying the merchandise. And yeah. so maybe Fallen Order is suffering from a similar problem. I don't know. And maybe Disney is like, well, we don't want to confuse. See, this is why a Star Wars game shouldn't even be coming out right now, because maybe they're saying, like, we don't want to confuse the messaging with our movie, which is much more important. So keep the advertising to a minimum. I don't know. It's all speculative. Yeah. All right, Chris. Let's get into the news. There's not a great volume of news to get through this week, but some important pieces of news have come out that we must touch on. Number one, a significant shakeup has occurred at the top of PlayStation's leadership structure, and the moves made appear to be very wise indeed. For starters, PlayStation's Worldwide Studios, the umbrella under which its fully owned studios exist, from Naughty Dog and Bend to Media Molecule and Insomniac and others, has a new leader, Herman Holst, the co-founder of Sony-owned Guerrilla Games and its longtime creative director, who will now helm the larger ship and will be in charge of all 14 teams. Holst's Guerrilla Games was founded as Lost Boy Games in 2000 in the Netherlands and was sold to Sony in 2005 following the successful launch of PlayStation 2's Killzone. So he's been in the Sony family for a long time. In the wake of this shift, Worldwide Studios' longtime shepherd Shuhei Yoshida will be leading a new internal initiative to take care of Sony's relationships with indie developers and to discover great new smaller te uh, teamed games for PlayStation platforms. Yoshida has been with, the Sony, with Sony since the mid-80s and was with the PlayStation brand from its advent in 1993. He was the executive producer of games like Gran Turismo, The Legend of Dragoon, and Ape Escape, and became one of the most important faces of PlayStation during the PS3 era and into the PS4 era, though he's been conspicuously shelved in recent years. I think anyone can, with two eyes can notice that Sony shut him down for some reason. Yeah. Now, this news is pretty interesting, Chris, because we know that last month, the old CEO and then chairman, Sean Layden of PlayStation, was left and it seemed like it was because of some sort of power struggle with the new CEO, Ryan, who we don't 
we don't really know if that's true or not, by the way. I mean, that's just speculation, but I, I believe it. Uh, some executive uh, palace intrigue, let's say, was going on there. With his removal, our friend Gio Corsi, who was the head of Second Party, recently left. So there's a lot of, there's just a lot of tumult. Yeah, there's a lot it. of movement going on. Now, I think that Herman, I know Herman Holst, and I've met him on many occasions. He's a really nice guy. And I think that he is a great choice. And I think he's a great choice for multiple reasons. I think, number one, he's European, which I think continues to bring balance to this new American initiative that is overtaking PlayStation, where a lot of like American PR and marketing and all these guys have a lot of power. And Jim Ryan seems to be really uh, absorbing that. And I think bringing a guy from the Netherlands who works at a Dutch studio, who's in the European game scene, which is incredibly important for PlayStation, I think it's an incredibly wise move to yeah. to let him helmet as opposed to an American or a Japanese guy. I think it just brings geographic balance to the brand. And as far as Shuhei moving over to indie games, I think that that's essential. I, I think even more than Herman Holst's move, I think getting Yoshida involved in indie dev and finding those new smaller games is essential because as I've said on this show and as, as has been widely reported, Sony's really shitting the bed with indies and indie developers don't feel like they're being well taken care of anymore. And a lot of indie devs blame Sony for their games not selling well on PS4 like they used to. And I wonder why. Maybe it's because there's 75 <laughs> games a week coming out on PSN. And maybe Sony, like when Concrete Genie comes out, and so which Sony made, and they can't even be asked to to give a shit about it. I mean, of course, they're not going to care about your game. So, Chris, what is your uh, what is your take of this whole shakeup? Yeah, I think I would agree. I'm not really sure about Herman because I just don't really know much about him or, or really Gorilla as far as the studio goes. But I, I do I do think Shuhei in this role is super super smart, uh, especially because he's just been just down for the count for for some reason for ages. I don't know why. Is there any real reason why? Yeah, I think for so as far as I understand, and and, and I, I I don't think this is unique to Sony or unique to PlayStation as a corporate entity, but like I said, there's just a lot of palace intrigue at the top, and I think Shuhei Yoshida was just becoming too powerful as uh not a brand, but as like a face, and he wasn't really like an endorsed face right like he just ended up becoming this you know I got to say and I'm not trying to be a dickhead or like pat myself on the back but we kind of had a lot to do with it at IGN and beyond of making Shuhei Yoshida into this like cult figure because we like started including him and reaching out to him and we had all these funny pictures of him and we started bringing him on the podcast and stuff I think we definitely had something to do with that and I don't think it was ever the intention for him to be like that right and I think that they lost control of the message with someone like Yoshida at the top who has such a good relationship with players. And like I said, I think his shelving has been totally conspicuous. I, I think anyone that plays attention to PlayStation knows full well that this guy was put on the shelf. And so I think that him reemerging with this new indie initiative is so wise because Sony's missing this. And yeah. I, I think you need someone at the top to encourage the power brokers at Sony to be like, these games matter. And these small teams have given us like we've cultivated and I, by we I'm saying like in terms of Shuei Yoshida saying we as Sony, we've cultivated some of the greatest and most acclaimed indie in quote games ever, including games like Journey. Right. And we don't do that anymore. And we should. And so I yeah. think it's awesome. I think yeah, it's he's, awesome. he's he's definitely the best person to do it. I feel like. 
Because he's at the top, but he doesn't feel like he's like at the top. You know what I mean? Right. And it's no it's no insult to Sean Layden, who is a fluent Japanese speaker who worked at Sony in Japan, who produced games of himself. I mean, Sean Layden has roots going all the way back to 90s Insomniac and Naughty Dog. I mean, he's been around for a long time, but I just don't feel like he had the same heartening or heartened relationship with the audience. I think Sean Layden came in and pushed Shuhei to the side to try to be Shuhei. And it hurt the brand because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to categorize Sony as this Japanese company that does Japanese things, but they are a Japanese company. And so I think having a Japanese guy like Shuhei Yoshida that speaks fluent English, that was educated in the U S he went to UCLA and all these kinds of things, I think bridged that East West divide in such a way that Sean Layden just didn't. And yeah, so I think that in a world of characters, whether you're talking about Awada back in Nintendo, RIP, or you're talking about the heightened character kind of building that they're doing with the Xbox brand and putting people to the front, this matters. And so I think it's great. And I think that th- this is a good move across the board. Ethan Fitzgerald wrote into us on Patreon. He said, hey, Coronary Colin, that's probably accurate. And Cantankerous, Chris, my question is simple. What does Herman Holst becoming the head of PlayStation Worldwide Studios mean for Gorilla? As a big fan of Killzone and Horizon, I can't help but be a little worried about this new role and the impact it may have on Gorilla. Thanks for all you do and keep preaching the Five Guys gospel. Well, I don't think you have too much to worry about, uh, Ethan. Gorilla is Sony's biggest studio at almost 300 heads, so which is un- which is fucking crazy. That's I mean, actually that's a, insane. I didn't know a that. Huge team. And I mean, that's why we all know that they're working on more than one game, although I assume that one of those a group of those people also now tend to Decima as well. But for me, I feel like it doesn't really matter because they have Angie and all these other people at the top, their production pipeline that's really been at the top since the original Killzone. That's just moving in to take his place. So I don't think Herman Holst leaving is going to have a great effect on Gorilla, and I really wouldn't worry too deeply about it. Remember that he didn't have a great deal to do with Horizon. So he's a kill zone guy. And so if you like the way Gorilla is moving, then Herman Holst leaving might actually be a good thing for you yeah. because he's able to bring his expertise and his decades of experience in the industry and at Gorilla and elsewhere and with Decima and all this other stuff. He's now able to be a global evangelist for all that kind of stuff. And I think it's I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think so. Joshua Gershman says with Herman Holst's departure from Gorilla, do you think this means Horizon 2 is close to done? Uh, no, I don't think Horizon 2 is close to done. And I don't think Herman leaving has anything to do with that one way or the other. Remember, Herman Holst is so far above his old role as like the sole creative director of a Killzone centric gorilla that you can't really compare apples to oranges now. They're different. It's different now. You know, when they started making Shadowfall and Horizon in tandem, that's when the team became bigger than just, you know, Herman Holst and his team. So I wouldn't worry about it. No, I don't think Horizon 2 is close to being done. Mark Zebro Jr. wrote in and said, hello, Colin and Chris. This week, we saw a big power change at Sony with Shuhei Yoshida stepping down as president of Worldwide Studios uh, with Guerrilla Games' Herman Holst to replace him. Though I'm excited to see Shu's new role within Sony, I can't help but think this may be more of a demotion for him. With Sean Layden's unexpected departure included, what the hell is happening behind the scenes at Sony? Love to know your thoughts. Thank you and have a nice day. We talked a little bit about this already, Mark, but I do want to reiterate, Chris, and I don't know if you have anything to add to this. I don't know that this is a demotion. I I feel like... In terms of what makes Shu, I, you know, I know Shuhei Yoshida personally. Now, I said that er- earlier about Herman Holst, but I really do know Shuhei, like, personally, as a person. Not just the guy I had some dinners with or whatever. Yeah. But I know him. And even though we don't talk too much anymore, we actually talked recently, which was really nice. But even though I don't talk to him anymore, I just know him well enough to know that this probably makes him happier than a pig and shit. 
<laughs> because he loves traveling. He loves being on the plane. He loves going to different countries. He loves interfacing with devs. And unlike a lot of people, like we, we make fun of Sony's PR team because they don't play video games and they don't. Uh, there Again, there's one person on Sony's PR team that I can name that plays video games. But that's not the case with the guys who come from the game-centric production side. This is a man with a wealth of knowledge to share. And I think sitting in a, to- a Tokyo high-rise for the rest of his career is probably not the best use of his skill. So Yeah, it's probably I mean, not. It's probably... It probably it's probably pretty depressing. Yeah, I would assume so. You know, he's now he has two he has twin daughters and he's away from home all the time and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that that's going to make this more difficult. But it's just a waste of his talent. He's not just some nameless executive. He like I said, he this is the guy that produced Ape Escape. This is the guy that produced The Legend of Dragoon. You know, like this is no no fool. And yeah. I'm really excited to see what his enthusiastic love of video games, which is what he really has. I'm excited to see what that injects into what will hopefully be a new resurgent PlayStation 5 centric indie initiative, similar to what we had at the start at the advent of the PS4 era, which was so important to the PS4 success. And I think we've lost sight of that six years later. But, you know, you remember the the PlayStation loves indies? Does anyone remember that? I remember like, that yeah. wasn't that long ago. <laughs> you know? It's amazing how quickly it just shifted. But uh, it, it did. It's it's gone now. It's totally gone. They don't care about their own fucking developers unless they're making a triple A game. So you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, let's move on to the next story. Number two. Sony has created a new first-party studio. Well, kind of. According to Games Industry International, the new studio will be located in Malaysia and will open for business in 2020. However, it's not a true first-party studio like Sucker Punch or Polyphony or the many others in the family that make games from stem to stern. Instead, PlayStation's Malaysian studio is being crafted to offer support on internally developed PS5 games providing art and animation. Such a move allows Sony to tap the largely unseen Malaysian game dev scene, and according to PlayStation CEO and President Jim Ryan, government support for Malaysia, likely in the form of tax breaks or subsidies like seen in Canada and elsewhere, helped the corporation to make this decision. Malaysia is a country in Southeast Asia with a population of more than 30 million people and an emerging and steadying market. Streamline Studios, which works out of Malaysia and has worked on games like Street Fighter V, Bioshock Infinite, and others in a support role, is currently the largest existing Malaysian game studio with over 200 employees. That's likely to change very, very soon. Adam O wrote into us. It's pretty crazy. And said, hey, Sithis Christ and Sith Lord Colin. I I think you meant to say Chris. Everyone's calling you Christ, which is a... Well, that's fine, actually. Yeah, I'm all right with that. Sony just opened a new studio in Malaysia, and with the news that 70 devs from Guerrilla helped with Death Stranding, I started to wonder how big all the dev teams in Sony are. I'm a huge fan of Xbox as much as Sony, and seeing their new studio is basically double in size now and still growing, I was wondering just how big some teams are in Sony's first party. Thanks, and keep making Tuesdays great. We will, Adam. 
So team sizes in PlayStation uh, first party stable, they vary from the small end. So a medium molecule is about 50. Uh, and it goes all the way up to the big end. So we, we mentioned earlier that Guerrilla Games is about 250. Studio Japan, depending on how you count that, is a similar headcount. Yeah. Uh, studios like Sony Bender in the middle, about 125, but they definitely um, they definitely went up. They used to be about 75. So the team sizes vary. And, and Adam, I must warn you, you don't want studios to double in size just to grow. Uh, you yeah. said you, you're excited to see Xbox do that, but that's meaningless. Yeah, and and it's yeah, and Xbox has been doing kind of the opposite, where they have like teams like the the State of Decay team, which is like significantly smaller than, I think it's Play Dead, if I'm not mistaken. But like, yeah, they, I think they're in a similar situation too, where they've got some smaller teams, some bigger teams. But like, a bigger team doesn't necessarily mean a better team, and it's important to realize that. Definitely not. By the way, the team is Undead Labs. Play Dead is Undead the team Labs that made. Uh, oh, that's right, Undead Limbo. Right. Play Dead made uh, Limbo. Not a big, not a big error, but people will yell at you. So I want yeah, to correct no, totally. you. Yeah, Thank you. Now, Chris, what do you make about this new Malaysian studio? I mean, to me, this seems to be very similar to what we've been talking about with China or with uh, Japan's Sony Japan's initiative in China and Communist China to try to extract some of those games out of that closed-off country and bring them on PlayStation. They've really been the first to do that. And so, to me, this seems like going to Malaysia, small country of thirty million, but with some untapped potential and talent. This just seems to me. Maybe a wise, though, risky move for Sony to move in and say, like, we don't really know what's happening here. We might as well try to make something of this and see what we can do in this in this place where there's probably a ton of talent that's willing to work. And I have to put this in there, willing to work for extremely cheap compared to yeah. uh, American and European devs. What do you make of it? I mean, I, I just, <laughs> it's a move. I wouldn't I, I definitely wouldn't have thought about Malaysia at all. But that's why I'm not. Uh, that's why I'm not a PlayStation executive. Yeah, well, it reminds me of like when in especially in the 80s. I mean, this was still true in the 90s, even today, even today. But a lot of the 80s cartoons we love so much, like G.I. Joe and Transformers, all of that was made in South Korea because at the time mm -hmm. it was incredibly cheap and it's still cheap to get Korean. Yeah, animators. No, there's the, plenty of animation is still done in Korea. Like, right. Still. To this so I, I think that this is both a nuanced let's find talent move and maybe we can make a real studio here. But the other thing is. I mean, we can make we can have them run support on PlayStation games for animation and and art, which are really expensive in first world countries. We can do this out of a developing nation, a second world country or whatever, and pay less for it. So I think we have to throw that in for fairness's sake. No, for sure. It's not like Sony's going to Malaysia to help the Malaysian people. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, as it does each month, Sony has revealed the best selling games on the PlayStation store this time for October. Not surprisingly, this month's best-selling game was Call of Duty Modern Warfare, followed by, and this I was surprised by this, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and then The Outer Worlds, FIFA 20, and Minecraft. Other notable games include Borderlands 3 at 10, God of War at 15, Spider-Man at 16, and this is a weird one, The Forest at 19. It must have been on sale because that game sucks. Yeah. The best-selling PSVR game was yet again Beat Saber, followed by Super Hot VR and Skyrim VR. Fortnite and Apex Legends remain PS4's most popular free-to-play games, and Fortnite and Destiny 2 dominate the top DLC and expansions chart. So nothing too groundbreaking there, although Breakpoint at number two stands in stark contrast to Ubisoft's seeming disappointment in it to the point where yeah. they changed everything about their roadmap because of it. And yet the game was still the second best-selling game of October, which to me indicates what I've already said about Ubisoft and reinforces it, that I think that they care about the gamer more than a lot of these publishers do. Yeah, no, definitely. It's super. It makes me super happy to see Destiny Two on the top of DLC. That makes me really, really happy. It makes yeah, me shed a tear. I think Shadowkeep was number two. I think there was a yeah. Fortnite piece of DLC that was number one. So that makes sense. Yeah. So congratulations to all of those that were on the charts. 
I will note medieval and people have noticed this. No concrete genie on this list. And obviously that game didn't sell very well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, medieval's not on it either. So that's In true. Fairness. Medieval came out on the 29th or the 26th. Oh, or right. Like that. No, that's not the 29th. The, it was the 25th. The 25th. So concrete genie came out in the beginning of the month. So the, the word out of Europe is that medieval is actually selling really respectively. But we're going to see about that. We're yeah. going to see about that in November. Chris, this is an interesting one. Number four. Remember Deep Down? No. It was a a PS4 game being developed by Capcom in Japan and was supposed to be a methodical dungeon crawler. It was amongst the first next-gen games revealed, and it was actually shown off in February of 2013 when Sony showed PlayStation 4 itself. It was playable at TGS that year. I actually played it. And Capcom had talked about it actively through 2015 when the project went quiet, although Capcom kept the trademark for the game alive. Now, thanks to an interview from Eurogamer with Capcom's Yoshinuro Ono, haven't heard from him in a while, we have a better idea of what happened to the halted and seemingly canceled project. He told Eurogamer in part, quote, the original team is clearly no longer together at this point, but people might have noticed that we've kept the trademark registered and it's not been completely given up on. Every year we examine titles we're doing in the future and we bring up projects to approve and move forward. There's not much I can say about it, end quote. As Deep Down seemed to be a project focused more on creating a proprietary engine for Capcom, which was calling Panther Ray internally, it's perhaps not a huge surprise that the game stalled, but that Capcom is keeping it alive suggests we may just see it in the future. Kenneth Ohms wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Platanos, Chris, he said the food, <laughs> is that like a plantain? Uh, yeah, it's like a Platanos. It's like a, it's basically banana. That's so it's plantain. It's plantain. It's just a, yeah, it's basically, okay. yeah. It seems Deep Down is not dead. The executive producer, Yoshinoro Ono, has said that they that they've haven't completely given up on it. Do you think Capcom bit off more than they can chew or did the project scope change to new features, perhaps PS5 and Monster Hunter World success? Anyways, please stop murdering those babies. They help us navigate through the BTs. That's a good point. Oh, yeah. Kenneth, and we will keep that in mind moving forward with the strong pro-life sentiments of Death Stranding. Chris, you said at the top, you don't remember this game deep down? No, I, I, I remember the name, but I don't remember anything about it. So... I was at that February 2013 meeting when they showed PS4 and there were only a few third party games shown and that was one of them and it was called Deep Down and it was basically supposed to be this procedurally generated dungeon crawler and they were Capcom was hyping it because there was this really unfortunately named engine that they were working on called Pantheray, P-A-N-T-A-H-R-H-E-A. People can go look it up if they want. And this was supposed to be kind of the showcase for it. Very similar to how Shadowfall was kind of the showcase. Uh, for Decima. Oh, okay. I remember this. So at TGS that year, I actually went to Tokyo Game Show in 2013 and I played the game and it, I remember playing it. I was like, this is really not good. I don't know what this is. And then <laughs> uh, a lot of people wrote about it and had some stuff to say about it. And then the game kind of just disappeared and it became vaporware for PS4. But what's so fascinating about it is vaporware status, kind of similar actually to some of the Rockstar stuff that was supposed to be on PS3, like the agent, was that they kind of announced and revealed this before, or like Bioshock on Vita, where they kind of announced it before it was like really greenlit. And so it never happened. And I always love deep down updates because God almighty, I don't know what, it's been six years since we really even saw it. And Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember it now, now that I'm looking up pictures of it. <laughs> I totally forgot that this was called Deep Down. Yeah, not a great name. Not a great name for the game. Not a great name for the engine. Uh, Yoshinora Ono, great name. That's a good name. But uh, yeah, you can expect that Deep Down is mostly dead. But if you're interested, by the way, that interview with Yoshinoro Ono on Eurogamer actually mostly surrounds Street Fighter. So if you guys want to go check that out, you can. But there's nothing really interesting for this audience. 
But number five, speaking of Capcom, the company recently released a fresh set of numbers for many of its million plus selling games sold across platforms and retail and digital through September 30th of this year. The numbers were relayed by website Gamatsu. I just want to come out real at the top before I talk about some of these numbers. These numbers go all the way back to the 80s. It's really awesome. So you can see like very specific numbers for NES games and SNES games. It's cool. <laughs> That's um, crazy. And I love that they released those publicly. So Monster Hunter World, which came out in January of 2018, remains Capcom's best-selling game of all time at 14.1 million units. Resident Evil 5 is in second place at 7.5 million units sold, which is unfortunate. And Resident Evil 6 at 3 with 7.4 million units sold. So the second and best and third best-selling Capcom games of all time are bad Resident Evil games. Uh, Resident Evil 7 at fourth with 6.8 million sold. And then SNES's Street Fighter 2, which comes in fifth at 6.3 million units sold. Other notable games include Resident Evil 2 Remake, which has recently sold 4.7 million copies, only 200,000 copies behind the PS1 original. That's crazy. That's and so cool. Isn't that cool? And Mega Man 11, which came out in October of last year and has surpassed a million units sold. So Cap congratulations to them. Capcom has released 93 games that have sold a million copies or more. <laughs> That's so cool. That's wild. So people can go. <laughs> the list is the list is really cool. I mean, it, it, like Mega Man 3 is on there. Mega Man 2 is on there. Uh, like all sorts of Bionic Commandos on there. Really cool stuff. Old stuff. Number six, a new patent from Sony has reignited the faint hope that we may get a third PlayStation handheld. Then again, patents don't mean anything if they're not used. So temper your expectations. According to Push Square, which cites a Dutch website called Let's Go Digital, the patent is for a new tiny cartridge, just like Vita's. But as the site wisely points out, a cartridge patent Sony filed last year ended up being for a Japanese-only children's toy called the Toyo. And this may be another similar patent, as it was submitted by the same Sony designer. A Toyo, by the way, is spelled T-O-I-O -O for anyone that wants to go look it up. Still, the patent information itself is interesting, showing a schematic for a cartridge or card that appears to be larger than Vita's and shaped more like Nintendo DS carts. What it is, or if it'll end up being used in PlayStation hardware or elsewhere in Sony's constellation, remains to be seen. Mm. So nothing to get too excited about there. Yeah. Number seven. Last week, we discussed the imminent shutdown of SingStar's long-running online store and other online functionality, which will begin rolling out at the end of January. However, word now comes that Drive Club servers are also going to be shut down shortly after SingStar's demise. According to PlayStation.com, the online servers for PS4's Drive Club, as well as Drive Club VR and Drive Club Bikes, will be shut off permanently as of March 31st of 2020. According to Sony, quote, all online features, including multiplayer modes, will cease on that date. You will still be able to play and enjoy these games in single-player offline modes, end quote. I like how they say you can still enjoy them. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> as you'll recall, Drive Club itself cannot be purchased anymore on PlayStation Store as of late August, which was setting up this inevitable shutdown. Drive Club was originally intended to be a PS4 launch game in late 2013, but was delayed a year as it was in disastrous shape when it was supposed to launch. When it came out in October of 2014, it was still broken for most players, although it improved over time and sold respectably. Still, Sony shut down the studio that created it, Evolution, in 2016, and much of that team went on to create Codemasters Evo, an, inter an internal Codemasters studio that created 2018's racer Onrush. As far as I understand, most of that studio has been disbanded because Onrush didn't sell very well. Um, so Drive Club is uh, donezo. And if you want to get that, so first of all, you can't even buy it. So if you don't own it too bad, but I think that you might be sealed off from the Platinum Trophy if you don't, if you're unable to get online. So this is something that people are going to need to pay attention to, similar to The Last of Us being shut down on PS3, if you care about that sort of thing. But still, no more Drive Club. And by, peace. The, by the way, Chris, doesn't it seem like they're making room for Gran Turismo with all these Drive Club moves? I think so. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, we got one more year before a new system launches, so that's about right. Yeah, I think Gran Turismo is going to come back in a major way. I think they have to do that because of the amazing success that Microsoft has found with uh, Forza really stealing the steam uh, indeed from uh, Gran Turismo, which was on like Gran Turismo for 15 years or so was the undisputed champion of, of sim racers. And yeah. I don't think that's the case anymore. No, definitely not. Although I don't give a shit because I don't play racing games because I'm not a fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I, for some reason, own several Forza games, even though I don't play them. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And I think that. I bought one of them, too. So, like, that shows you how, uh, how fucking smart I am. You are a genius. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Chris, the final note, number eight, is a wrap up. The PlayStation blog reports that adventure game Where the Water Tastes Like Wine is coming to PS4 on December 2nd, and that long-in-development cartoon game Wadham is coming to PS4 on December 17th. That game has been in development forever. Website Gamatsu reports that VR puzzle game Tale of a Fragmented Star, or of the Fragmented Star, will be coming to PSVR in the spring of 2020. That card-centric RPG Cardpocalypse is coming to PS4 on December 12th. That stealth shooter IGI Origins is coming to PS4 at some point in 2021. And that previously dated rhythm action game Avicii Invector has been delayed a mere five days and will now come out on PS4 on December 10th instead of December 5th. Website Push Square reports that coffee shop adventure game Coffee Talk will be coming to PS4 in 2020. That game looks super cool, by the way. You guys should go look that up. Uh, GameSpot reports that the Outer World sales have surpassed Take-Two Interactive's expectations. Take-Two owning Private Division, which published the game. I actually didn't know that until I looked that up, by the way. I'm a little embarrassed by that. That Take-Two owns Private Division. I didn't know that. It makes a little more sense how they got uh, Obsidian's attention. I was always yeah. I was always way more impressed that this random publisher published their game, but I guess I should have looked further. And finally, developer IO Interactive has confirmed that the follow-up to its popular reignited Hitman series, presumably Hitman 3, is underway. Ah, <laughs> yes. Chris, let's talk about the new game releases, and as tradition dictates, you will read first. All righty. Astroneer comes to PS4. Astroneer is a space sandbox adventure where players can work together to build custom bases above or below ground, create vehicles to explore a vast solar system, and use terrain to create anything they can imagine. A player's creativity and ingenuity are key to thriving on exciting planetary adventures. Very well done. Very good. Very good. It was a a grammatically correct write-up. So It was. Even though on our Google Doc it's telling me that part of it is wrong... Yeah, uh, that's bullshit. Uh, it's not. So I don't know what that's yeah. all about. Google is incorrect and they should be fined. Sons of bitches. Bee Simulator. Yes. Comes to PS4. See the world through the eyes of the bee. Explore a world inspired by Central Park where you can take part in bee races. Collect <laughs> pollen from rare flowers and defy dangerous wasps. Play with friends or family in three game modes, including co-op and PVP on split screen. It sounds a little bit like that PS2 game, Mr. Mosquito. Yeah. So was that, wait, bit. was that PS2? It was. It was a PS2 game. Huh. Indeed. I believe there was... Oh, wow. I, I, I could have sworn it was like N64 for some reason, but I guess... No, like no. Definitely not. Yeah. It looks Contagion. like an N64 game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to speed, speed by my blunder. Contagion VR Outbreak comes to PSVR. Dive deep into the events of the initial zombie outbreak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Explore the world through different perspectives and experience the beginning of the end in our single player campaign with limited resources. Make your way out in free roam. Ah, free roam in a single... Alright. Familiarize yourself with each weapon in the firing range to best... I don't know. I don't know if and I... Best, and best your scores if you best can. Best your scores if you can. Yeah. I guess it's a VR game. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little too specific. I want to say. Yeah. I don't Seems need to. Bit... 
you have a firing range. So does like Metro 2033. What the fuck do I care? You know, they have a firing range. Every game has a firing range. Can't play. You can't play Metro in VR, though. That's true. But you can play another zombie game. Yet another zombie game. Doctor Who, The Edge of Time comes to PS4. I feel like this game's already out. A new mysterious enemy threatens to tear apart the universe and only you can stop them. Doctor Who, The Edge of Time lets players embark on an adventure through space and time. Travel across the universe, visit alien locations, pilot the TARDIS, and solve the the mystery of the controlling force behind the reality virus. I feel like... Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that game was on PS3, but I I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong. Yeah, that that sounds super familiar for some, some reason. Fractured Minds comes to PS4. Fractured Minds is an immersive... I almost said autistic. Immersive artistic short game exploring anxiety and mental health issues. I embark on a journey through the human psyche to experience the everyday challenges associated with these conditions. Winner of the BAFTA Young Game Designers Award. It's interesting. Here's my thing about these games, though, Chris, because I talk about my anxiety and my mental health a lot, and I like to do that. But when you make a piece of art, I feel like you shouldn't be telling me that it's like, in other words, let me play the game and explore it and figure out what it is myself, because I don't know. Like, I, I like, for instance, Journey, we brought that up earlier, is a really emotional and sad game, but they never told you to be sad. Right. You know, when you played it, you just were. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe yeah. I'm being a little hard on the uh, I don't know. on these young people. Hey, they won. A, they won an award. So they did. They won a BAFTA award, which is which is quite prestigious. Golem comes to PSVR. I almost said Golem wrote in. But actually, we're still reading the name. <laughs> Enter a mysterious storybook world and take the role of Twine, an adventurous kid who has been seriously injured in an accident. Even though you are unable to leave your bed during your recovery, you never stop dreaming of exploring the outside world. That is, until you discover that you have the ability to create and control stone creatures called golems, seeing through their eyes and controlling their actions. That's actually a... I don't care about the golem part of it, but that's actually a neat idea to be in a kid who's bedridden's mind. Yeah, um, I'm actually kind of excited for this. This is, uh, I believe, this is Highwire Games. This is uh, the oh. studio that, this is the studio that Marty O'Donnell, who did the, uh, obviously the renowned soundtrack for the Halo games, he went to after they fired him from Bungie. Cool. So this is, uh, at the very least, I'm expecting pretty great music out of this one. Very cool. <laughs> Kittened P- comes to PSVR. Take care of cute kittens. Lots and lots of cute kittens. Get points for keeping them happy and lose points for everything they destroy. You <laughs> That's awesome. Use points to upgrade your tools. Get an automatic food dispenser or clean up poop faster with the Poop Scoop 3000. What awaits inside the next box? Hmm, interesting. I love cats. I wonder if I could throw a kitten in there. It's a trap VR game, right? You yeah, trap the cat in... Oh, you, I thought you meant throw a cat in the real world into the VR game. But you mean throw a cat in the VR world in the VR world. I yeah. See. Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do that. Fuck them. They always land on their feet. They're fine. Yeah, exactly. Last Labyrinth comes to PS4. Escape a merciless mansion alongside a girl words cannot reach in an escape the room adventure game that can only be experienced in VR. Players must work to escape a mansion full of hidden dangers with a mysterious girl that appears before them. Okay. Mad Games Tycoon comes to PS4. In Mad Games Tycoon, build your own gaming empire. God, I hate it. Uh, Build your own gaming empire. Start your own game studio in the early 80s. The journey begins in a small garage with little money and limited resources. Create new game concepts. Set up your team and develop the next million hit. Million hit. Research new technologies, train employees, and and, and, uh, buy new and larger office spaces. I like that everything in the 80s starts in a garage. You have to start in a garage, whether you're uh, Apple or Intel or what. You got to start in a garage. Yeah. Gotta it doesn't do it. count if you uh, 
If you start anywhere else. No, definitely not. Mercenaries Wings, the fa- the Fail Phoenix. Is that what the fucking- oh, the False Phoenix. I, I misread that. I'm like, the Fail Phoenix? What the fuck? Mercenaries <laughs> Wings. Why does it have to be called the Mercenaries Wings? It reminds me of <laughs> Demon's Souls. I hate that. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> mercenaries wings the false phoenix is a tactical rpg Ooh, now i like it in which players take control of mercenaries for hire hired by a king on a mission to reclaim his kingdom the group of mercenaries are set to fight the rebel army as commanded risking life in exchange for a precious coin well now you have my attention yeah look at that you got something Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition comes to PS4. Slink through the shadows as a deadly half-elven rogue. Weird, fearsome magics as a powerful gnomish sorcerer. Vanquish your foes as an armor-clad dwarven paladin. Whatever hero you create, incredible adventures await. This is an old one, right? Yeah. Like Neverwinter Nights. I remember, that's a that's I, one that I remember from a while ago. I'll look this up when you read next, but I think Neverwinter has never been on console before. Yeah, I think that's probably correct. Romancing Saga 3 comes to PS4 and Vita, and you'll remember that uh, Romancing Saga 3 won Vita game of the show at E3 because it was the only Vita game there. (laughs) The celebrated RPG classic comes west for the first time. Developed by industry veterans, Romancing Saga 3 was originally released in Japan in 1995. This HD remaster of the legendary RPG masterpiece introduces optimized graphics, a new dungeon to explore, new scenarios, and a new game plus function. This is exciting for people that are fans of the Mana series because... Previously, there were only fan translations of that. I don't even know if that's really a thing anymore. But when I was a kid or when I was younger, people used to translate these unreleased games in ROMs online. And so for those that were not able to do that or for those that want to play the proper way, which is kind of like me, uh, it's an exciting moment. So I'll be I'll be buying that full price just to show my support to Square Enix uh, for their continued Vita support. And I hope a lot of you out there decide to do the same. Look at you. Sparklight comes to PS4. Sparklight is an action adventure set in a whimsical, oh, in the in the whimsical and ever-changing land of Geodia. 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 I would say yeah. Georgia. Georgia. I want to die. Georgia. Battle foes. <laughs> Battle foes in top-down action using an arsenal of gadgets, guns, and gear. Explore dangerous corners of the procedurally generated world. Take down titans of the mining industry. <laughs> what? And harness the power of Sparklight. Okay, well. It's interesting. It's interesting. I'm watching uh, season two right now of Jack Ryan, and uh, which I really like, by the way. And that's about taking down a powerful mining operation. Huh. Interesting. Maybe it's the same thing. By the way, I looked up Neverwinter Nights, uh, came to PC in 2002, in the summer of 2002. It has never been on console. And in fact... I don't think you ever even saw a re-release. So That's pretty crazy. I, it's just one of those series of games. Uh, Neverwinter Nights is a Bioware game. I don't know who owns who owns the, the IP. IP. I'd have now. to look deeper, and I won't do it like live. This is what I usually do when I fucking waste all my time on the internet. That's why I have this uh, ridiculous knowledge of PlayStation games, I guess. But yeah, Neverwinter is part of this, I think, this movement of bringing a lot of these late 90s, early 2000s dungeon RPGs and CRPGs to console for the first time because we, we've seen this with like Icewind Dale is coming and Baldur's Gate and shit so yeah. it's kind of cool because I have never played any of this stuff so not that I'm going to necessarily sit there and play these now when there's so much else to play but knowing that I can now is kind of exciting I got to be honest with you tickles yeah. me a little bit it bodes well for the library if anything Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order comes to PS4 and I just want to say that I hate the col- where the colon's placed you know 
in this because it's Star oh, Wars yeah, Jedi yeah. colon Fallen Order. I just wish it was called Jedi colon Fallen Order. We all know what the Jedi is. I don't think we need Star Wars in there. But anyway, a galaxy spanning adventure awaits in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, a third person action adventure title from Respawn Entertainment. An abandoned Padawan must complete his training, develop new powerful force abilities and master the art of the lightsaber, all while staying one step ahead of the Empire. I am looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, VR Ping Pong Pro comes to PSVR. Rackets at the ready. VR Ping Pong Pro is the follow-up to the to the hit table tennis simulator of 2016, VR Ping Pong. Test your skills with a variety of challenging game modes as you rise up the ranks to become the true Ping Pong Pro. Uh, do you have what it takes? Pick up your virtual racket and find out. Dude, Ping Pong is so hard. It is. Like, when you find someone that really knows how to play, it's like, holy shit. I let you... You have to be really nice to the other person when you're playing because you could just like slam the ball, you know, and just yeah, beat them really I'm, quickly. Yeah, I'm deeply off put by anybody who is incredible at playing anything. Like my friend Zach is like in like a savant with Tetris that, to the point where he could play it like super fast without looking at the screen. And it uh, honestly scares me. Yeah, it's a little unsettling. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It's what, it's what some might call eldritch. Yeah. And by the way, VR Ping Pong Pro, VR Ping Pong Pro, VR Ping Pong. I can I can say it multiple times in a row. I just wanted to try. <laughs> Woven. Comes to PS4, explore a woolen world where stuffed animals once lived in peace. Search for hidden secrets and customize your character with different animal shapes to solve puzzles. An epic adventure with two very unlikely heroes and a story narrated in rhyme. You know what that reminds me of, although it shouldn't, is one of my favorite... One of, one of the games that I, I want to say favorite, it's ridiculous. An underrated game from the last generation that I actually fucking really loved, the, even though it didn't run very well, I really loved the idea, was Naughty Bear. Oh, yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> They got. I think five hundred five owns that, if I recall. They have to do something with that. That was so funny. That, that idea. was a cool. It was a good premise. That was back when we saw a lot of uh, comedy games. We saw more comedy games back then. Right, especially in the A space, like the mid tier space. Yeah, where for I think sure. that I think that that really works. Kind of like that Leisure Suit Larry. I should note my brother worked on the most recent Leisure Suit Larry, so just throwing that out yeah. there. Yeah, uh, but it's kind of like that mid space. Uh, Leisure Suit Larry thing where you can get get a little humor and a little get, be a little crude. But for people that don't know, Naughty Bear was a game about an outcast teddy bear who lived on this island with other teddy bears who didn't like him, and they would always party without him. They would have like birthday parties and New Year's parties and all this <laughs> stuff, and they would never invite him. So Naughty Bear would go around and kill them all during their parties, like secretly. And it was so fucking good. It was so funny. Yeah, it's I such a good idea. premise for a game. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, he was like the no one liked him. So he just became like this really out of out of his mind teddy bear that would murder everyone. And you would instead of blood, like stuffing would come out of them and stuff. It was cool. That was only console, right? I believe. Well, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but that's where I, play. yeah, that's I, I, I played on uh, PS3. I feel and it, like didn't, it didn't run on PS3 very well. I definitely feel like it's one of those games that's like stranded on uh, console because like if that game was on PC, I probably would own it already and it would probably run way better. Which is a shame. Yaga comes to PS4. Smash, clobber, and bash the murderous legends of Slavic mythology in this darkly funny action role-playing game that changes every time you play. Play as Ivan, a one-handed blacksmith <laughs> with incredibly bad luck who must take on the impossible tasks given to him by uh, by the Tsar. Or whatever. It is, by the Tsar? Is that how Tsar is spelled in that? I guess? Uh, it, could be, it can be... Uh T-S-A-R-T-Z-A-R or C-Z-A-R. Yeah, I'm used to C. I like this premise a lot. This sounds really cool. Yeah, it does. It does. By the way, Chris, I looked up Naughty Bear. Came out in 2010. It's actually on iOS, but it's not on PS3 and 360. It came out, yeah, in 2010, and it was published by 505, so I was right about that. So they own the IP, and they still exist. 
505 most recently uh, published Control, as you guys might recall. But the developer of it, I forgot about this. The developer of it is Behavior Interactive. And they used to be known as Artificial Mind and Movement for people that don't remember uh, or might remember them. And they just worked on a lot of random games. Uh, but I'm looking at their their run of games today and you guys will be maybe not too pleased to learn. Uh, they are a support team now that works with other bigger publishers, including on games like Star Citizen, which is never going to come out. Oh, wow. And uh, also Fallout Shelter. Oh, cool. So we have that to look forward to. Well, look at that. Chris, I think that's all of the games now we do have a question to wrap up on and i do want to do that before we get into the actual questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas but i assume we want to point out or is there anything we want to point out on this list i don't know yeah i think uh star wars jedi fallen order is definitely one that comes to mind i i really like the write-up and the premise for yaga i can't speak to how good it is because i haven't seen it uh but i dig that Uh, uh, slavic stuff is like cool i think so it's not really it's not really explored that much i assume it's based on uh baba yaga uh, or whatever the hell. And I am very curious about Golem for reasons that I think are pretty obvious. But uh, oh, no, I, those are the three that I, I think I'm most curious about. Well, what I was going to ask you about Golem was, are you going to play it on PSVR or are you going to play it on Oculus? You know what? I, I'll, uh, I'll bust out the PSVR to play Golem. What a good boy you are. I'll, I'll do it. I think, my, I think one of my roommates, one of my 200 roommates has a PlayStation Eye that I can borrow uh, that I'm for g- sure he's not using. You're such a good boy. By the way, yeah. I, I, that, the PlayStation I think reminds me at IGN when um, PS4 was coming out, they had the camera and they were talking about all of the, you know, Sony was talking about all the peripherals you can go by. And we kept calling the camera the PlayStation I. And they got really mad about it. And they kept telling <laughs> us to correct it to PlayStation camera. And we never did. Yeah, I think it's so funny. I, it's, it's like, uh, sorry, I'm gonna... you, uh, the PlayStation I sounds cool. Yeah, it's much better than the PlayStation camera. It's like, shut the fuck up. Do you remember, by the way, the PlayStation camera was there was a massive shortage of it i think we might have talked about that a few weeks <laughs> what? ago when ps4 launched they didn't manufacture almost any cameras because they didn't think anyone would care um and cameras started selling like really quickly because of the ability to stream natively on the console so right. for like the first six months you couldn't find a playstation camera people might That's remember that kind of amazing i want to give a shout out to the romancing saga 3 as i said earlier it's a vita game it is a it's not one of these shitty vita games it's a triple a vita game from a triple a publisher so go show them some love but make sure to watch a video first you don't want to just buy it blindly Jared Kellogg did write into us, though, before we get into the actual reader mail, this isn't going to count towards that. He says, hey, Cockroach Colin and Condominium Chris, long time, first time on the last podcast. You two were talking about the Blizzard situation a little more. And Colin essentially talked about the importance of voting with your wallet when it comes to controversial companies like Blizzard and EA, a.k.a. not buying their games. This got me thinking about Jedi Fallen Order, seemingly the first richly developed single player Star Wars experience since Forced Unleashed 2. I'd go so far as to argue since KOTOR 2 or Republic Commando. I think you're going a little too far for that. But my question is, I would go back to Yoda stories personally. (laughs) My question is as follows. With EA holding the Star Wars license hostage for another four years at least, is it not our duty to buy this game? Therefore, showing EA that this is what we want as gamers. Granted. All of us seem to be riding on how it reviews, but given the recent 20 or so minutes of gameplay released by Game Informer and other outlets, generic protagonists aside, this game is looking like a wonderful concoction of some of gaming's best mechanics. I am personally waiting until the release to decide, but this is just something I have been grappling with for the past few weeks, as it may be a chance to reshape the way EA thinks about the content they produce. This is a very insightful comment, Jared Kellogg. Hopefully you are from the Kellogg family that gave us the wonderful corn, uh, corn flakes. And if you are, thank you for that. Now, Chris... What Jared's basically saying here is that there's a conundrum because if you want to hold EA to task 
for the way that they've treated Star Wars, maybe the way that they've treated Respawn, maybe the way that they, whatever the case might be, the microtransactions, uh, Apex Legends, whatever. But if we don't buy Fallen Order, then aren't they getting just another, maybe even contradictory message? In other words, what do you do? You buy the games that you want to support. It's uh, quite simple. I think it's I think we're focusing too much on the company. It's like, oh, we got to show EA with what's what's for. It's like because they did all this sh- shitty, uh, shitty garbage to all these different studios or whatever. I still pers- personally personally <laughs> listen. Listen, I'm yeah. for real. I still have a grudge because they shut down pandemic. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I still think about that every time an EA game comes out. I think about pandemic because I love that studio so dearly. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I think. Yeah, if 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 you want to send a message that this is the kind of game that you want, I think it's I think you should buy it if you want to send that message and if you want to play that game. Uh, I think you use your wallet on a title basis, not necessarily on a company basis. If that makes sense, it does. Well, my thing with this, Chris, is I think that this is an almost impossible situation. Right. It, remi- it reminds me a lot of like some economic movements around the world to try to punish a country or punish a group like um, the divestment and and um, embargo situation that goes on with Israel, for instance, where it's really hard to balance that. Like, I remember people, you know what, you know what SodaStream is? The the company SodaStream, they yeah. make those like, that's an Israeli company, just as an example. And I remember reading a story where a guy was like part of the Palestinian uh, divestment and, and embargo movement or whatever it's called, BDS, uh, sanction movement and then about how they had to balance that because they like they liked some of the products that were coming out of Israel and like is it really possible to be all in on holding to account major companies major corporations major political parties and I think that it is but I think it comes at a sacrifice and I think you have to ask yourself what kind of sacrifice you're willing to make and EA is has its tendrils like other publishers and so many public and so many developers and so many games and so many types of games that it's really hard to hold them as an entity to account. That's kind of right. the similar thing with Blizzard, where even if you held Blizzard to account, Activision owns Blizzard. Activision just made $600 million in one day on Call of Duty, in one day. Right. You know, so like, I don't know that you shutting down your Blizzard account is really making a dent. And I think that's the unfortunate reality is that we don't have the power to make change the way we do, I think, sometimes because we're all not on the same page, which makes a lot of sense. So yeah. when you have a situation like this, I agree with Chris. I think you kind of got to you either have to be really consistent, like it goes back to Mass Effect 3 with EA, right? Where everyone's that's when that's when everyone really started bitching about EA. Well, they really started bitching about EA probably five years before that with the EA spouse letter. Do you remember that? No, I don't. So people can go look this up, but this happened in 2005 or 2006. This was one of the first like viral pre-social media gaming industry things where a woman, presumably a woman, wrote about her husband working at EA and it was called the EA Spouses blog. And it was basically calling EA out for crunch and ruining these guys' lives and stuff like that. And ever it's really a famous thing back in the day. You guys really go look it up and check it out. It's, it's interesting. But after that, that's when everyone started bitching about EA. And then it really kind of came to a head again with Mass Effect 3. And then it came to a head again with Andromeda. But I just don't know that we're capable of hurting them because even if you wanted to, and I don't really want to hurt EA, I don't care. But even if you were capable of hurting them, you have to account for the 20 million people that play FIFA, right? Or the, did you see all the rumors about how they might release a Mass Effect trilogy next year? 
on PS4, like that's yeah. going to sell millions of copies regardless of what they've done. And so I think it's tough. It's tough to be principled. It's tough. That's why you should just not have any principles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Chris, as tradition dictates, we'll read six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience beginning with Zach Wishnuff. And remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand to get your inquiries read on the air. We've already read so many of them and we'll do six more. He says, C-Sticks, if Disney ends their Star Wars relationship with EA, what are the chances that Sony strikes a deal to land the IP exclusively on PlayStation? How much would this change the landscape for the next generation? This is an interesting question, Chris, for two reasons. Number one is that EA's relationship with Disney over the Star Wars IP is finite. And the second yeah. thing, I think it I think it ends in 2022. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's when it ends. And the now they can renew, of course, but I think that's when the initial agreement ends. And the second thing is that Disney also owns Marvel, who is in bed with PlayStation on an exclusive series. So I don't I don't think that's likely. I think it's incredibly unlikely because Star Wars is so huge, but it wouldn't surprise me by any stretch of the imagination if a Star Wars game like one Star Wars game ended up exclusively on PS5. That yeah. wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think that's pretty much my assessment of it, too. I I, I doubt you're going to see Star Wars, complete Star Wars ex- exclusivity on a on a PlayStation platform, but I, I could see a one-off being there for sure. Well, it's what they've done, as we said, with Marvel. They're able to kind of piecemeal that, right? They gave a game, Marvel gave a game to Switch. There's a Switch-exclusive Marvel game and multiple uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. There's a PlayStation exclusive game with Spider-Man. There's a third party AAA game with the Avengers. So they're able to kind of split things off like that. And so they could do the same thing this next go around. And I would absolutely love to see one of Sony's first parties unleashed on Star Wars. And the the team that comes to mind for me is Sucker Punch for some reason. I don't know why. No, I could see that. Totally. That makes total sense. And maybe maybe Gorilla even could do something like that. But with Jedi Fallen Order... We're going to see if the proof's in the pudding. I think that if this game's bad, which I don't think it's going to be, or if it sells poorly, which I don't think it will. But assuming either of those things happen, I think that Disney would pull the plug on this relationship immediately. Uh, Because even though the Battlefront games have sold appreciably, the PR has not been good for this. And I don't think Disney's in the want of money. Like Disney got out of game publishing to stop having so much headache, so many headaches in making and publishing games and they just haven't avoided them because they were foolish enough to get in bed with EA when I think that they probably could have found much better partners than EA. And I've always been confused why they didn't want to go through the trouble of publishing and developing their own games. That also made no sense to me. Yeah. I think they had a really hard time. I know people that worked on Star Wars 1313 and I know that that was a really painful experience for everyone involved, especially because it was so it was supposed to be so good. And Disney kind of ended up killing that just because it got squished between the Lucasfilm purchase at Disney and all that. But yeah, Zach, we'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a Spider-Man like game. Let's say like a like a TIE fighter versus X, X-Wing game or something on PlayStation. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, maybe a PSVR game, actually. That would be even better, actually, because it's just a we need a cool third party proof of concept for like a $60 PSVR game. That is in blood and truth or something like that. You know, no, no offense to blood and truth. <laughs> yeah. Joe John Quinn wrote in and said, hey, Space Rangers, should first party games be added to offerings of PlayStation now at the time of their initial release? My take is they should not. 
I feel like gamers are actually starting to ask for too much value. Shortening profits to a dangerous margin is counterintuitive to the health and wellness of the industry. You guys talk all the time about how gamers are cheap or games are cheaper than ever. I thought you said gamers are cheaper than ever, which they also are. Uh, Joe, pushing the price and even even further down can't possibly be good for the devs and publishers. We want a healthy, vibrant and profitable industry. Chris, it's funny Joe brought this up because in the Andrew Ryan interview that's on Games Industry International's website, which people should go check out. It's really quite a fascinating read. This and a bunch of other stuff does come up. And he says that Sony has no plan on bringing day and date first party games to PlayStation now and that they're not going to be doing that. And that is in stark contrast to what Xbox has done with their first party games. Now, the contrast can also be drawn that PlayStation first party games are just leagues ahead at this point of Xboxes. And so Xbox is going towards a volume approach as opposed to a quality approach. And so they want those things on Xbox Game Pass. But do you feel like or I get let me back up is what Joe John Quinn saying. Does that resonate with you? Because he does make a good point that if we want. If we do care about the wellness of the industry at large, then even though as consumers we're we are trained to look for the best savings we can get, it does come at a cost, right. and we don't want to bear the cost of that down the road. Well, there's just no reason for them to do that. The 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 reason that Xbox is doing it is because they're the underdog this generation, and they've come out on the bottom, and this is a good way to get. This is a good consumer-focused way to get in the public's good graces. This is a consumer-friendly thing to do, but Sony doesn't need to do it. So I would I would be hard-pressed to convince them. You know what I would like, Chris? Although I don't know that this would be possible. Maybe this is bad business. I don't know. I'm not. You know, I run a business. I don't know that I'm the greatest or smartest businessman. Maybe this will prove that. But wouldn't it be cool if they put a clock on it where they were like, PlayStation Now is is an, is full of first party offerings that are older as well as a ton of third party offerings based on the the desires of publishers and developers at 180 days, six months from the release of every exclusive, it'll be on PlayStation now. And at that time, we will drop the price. I like telegraphing that kind of stuff because it really puts people on the clock and puts the pressure on them to say like, hey, this game's going to be $39.99 in six months. They already said it. It's going to be on PlayStation now in six months. They already said it. Can you wait? Can you wait? And I like that as kind of a, a bait, uh, like baiting the line a little bit to get people on PlayStation now, although PlayStation now is, is doing appreciably, as we, as we talked about an episode or two ago. So I like that Sony's taking this tact, and I think you're absolutely correct that Xbox wouldn't be giving away Gears 5 for free, basically, if they could get away with not giving Gears 5 away for free. So because I've been seeing a lot of these deals that where people are getting like a dollar of Game Pass for a month for like for a one bu- one buck. And that's like a that's like incredible. No, yeah, it's insane. (laughs) But but Microsoft wouldn't do that if this was 2010. So, you know, you have to you have to balance that. I appreciate what's being said here and I appreciate the conversation happening around this. But PlayStation now is not Sony's future. It is part of Sony's future. And if Microsoft wants Xbox game Xbox Games Pass to be like the center of gravity of their future, then they can do that. They're well on their way. But I don't know if that's wise. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. Kyle Listerman wrote in and said, hey, kick ass Chris and chill Colin with the delay of The Last of Us 2. Is there any chance the ghost of Tsushima will be ready for the first quarter of next year? I think this will show more success for the game with PS5 not hitting full swing at that point in the marketing department. I know it would be an announcement of the date close to the release, but it could be smart to wait till after the fall rush so it gets more attention. Thanks for the best. I don't think there's any way that that's going to happen, Kyle. The rumor is that 
The Last of Us 2's delay has materially affected Death Str- or, uh, Ghost of Tsushima's release date, but not pushing it forward, pushing it back. So I don't think they're going to be ready to go. I don't think it's going to be ready to go. I still think it's possible that this is going to be a cross-generation release. Yeah, I think th- I think so, too. Now, <laughs> I, I am so tired of fucking saying this, Chris. And I, I, I hate to beat the same drum and sound like I'm uh, the same saying the same thing over and over again, although I am. Cross-gen releases are just not going to mean the same thing next time. So I don't know what that means, right? I don't know yeah. what that means, but I feel like it's going to be really so close to the next gen that they're not they're going to have a hard time avoiding this. It reminds me a little bit of Beyond Two Souls, which was the second of three Quantic Dream games that were made for Sony, the first being Heavy Rain, the third being Detroit. People will remember that Beyond Two Souls came out like a few weeks before PS4 came out and it was locked on PS3. And it gave Sony a little bit of a hard time because they didn't really know what to do with it. And they don't really have that same problem with the forwards and backwards compatibility of PS5. So again, we're going to see what this marketing looks like. But no, Kyle, do not look forward to playing Death Stranding or Ghost of Tsushima rather before The Last of Us Part 2. You will not. I mean, you could. You could wait and play it after the fact. <laughs> yeah, but I guess they're, so. But they're not going to come out in that order. That's cheating. But yeah. Yeah, you can prove me wrong, I guess. Jordan DeBow wrote into us and said, hey, CM Squared. I was wondering why PlayStation doesn't have a flagship franchise. Mario will always have a game and Princess uh, will always have a game and Princess Zelda has done everything but pull up her skirt. It's a little dirty, isn't it? Microsoft will run Gears and Halo as far as possible, but PlayStation doesn't have a franchise that's synonymous with it like this. I was wondering what it would be if you guys could pick. I thought maybe Twisted Metal, but those games seem dead. Thoughts? Yeah, Twisted Metal is long dead. There hasn't been a new Twisted Metal game in almost a decade, but it's actually been eight years next year. But Chris, I do feel like they don't have that flagship. They've had them over time. They've had their Crash Bandicoot. They've had their yeah, Spyro. Yeah. I, Jack think they and have, I think they have console. They have like generational flagships. Yes. Like I feel like, you know, so the PS1 had uh, Crash and Spyro and maybe Snake towards uh, as, as like viable kind of mascots. Although I would argue that Crash is obviously the one that people think of the most. Definitely. And then PlayStation 2 obviously had like Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper uh, PlayStation 3 was a little bit less heavy. I think it was, uh, you know, Infamous, Uncharted, and I think that's probably it. Maybe Sackboy? Yeah, Sackboy was one Sackboy of them. Sackboy was yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. PS4 really is the only one that I think hasn't, although I think maybe recently has with uh, Death Stranding's kind of iconographic visual. Sure, and Knack, of course. And Knack, of course. Yes. You, you can't forget Knack. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily a a good or bad thing that they don't have, uh, you know, a flagship that's been with them fr- from the beginning. I, I think it's totally fine that they have a generational approach to things. In fact, I think it's kind of helped them. I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I was going to say was that I think you could look at this as a gambit that like they're f- first of all, with Spyro and with Crash, the ironic thing about those being PS1 era, late 90s. PlayStation icons is that Sony never owned them. So that was like the whole weird situation there. And then with Jack and Daxter and Ratchet, like you said, with the platformers on PS2. But I think over time, their willingness to abandon or refresh uh, things. So like they basically abandoned Uncharted, although you're going to see more Uncharted on PS5 from the San Diego team, I think. And they remade God of War basically into a new game. I like that they're willing to shake things up and that there's no convention that can't be broken because I personally, I love Nintendo. Like I'll always have a soft spot for Nintendo, 
But I think it's fucking boring that you can always expect a Mario game and a Zelda game and there's nothing new. You know, there's like, there's almost nothing new. If you think about like new meaningful IP from Nintendo in the last 20 years, you have Pikmin, maybe. And then you have Splatoon, maybe. And that's basically it. So I don't know that that's necessarily super healthy either. So I like the idea. I mean, it's, it's all about personal preference, but I like the idea that we're moving forward and that we know Naughty Dog is not making Uncharted again, that we know Sucker Punch isn't making Infamous or Sly Cooper again, that we know that even teams like Bend might not be doing a Days Gone sequel necessarily. We don't know. There, and I think that's fun. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It makes for a more interesting ecosystem, for, without a doubt. Jeff Pollard wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris. The trophy count display shows a number with a star next to it. Mine is currently 17 with 25% towards the next level. What is this number? How is it calculated? Does it even serve a purpose? Thanks. Well, no, it serves no purpose. I think we've already been over that. But Chris, <laughs> let's get let's get real nerdy here about this. I'm going to teach sure. everyone how this works. A long time ago when trophies came out in 2008 and into 2009, people sat around and tried to figure out exactly how this was working. Because what is being described here by Jeff is when you go online and you're in a trophy, you see your little number in the star and the little, it's like a role-playing game bar of experience. And you see that next to your name and that's tied to trophies. Now, people have figured out what the values of trophies are and how this contributes to the points. So what people have figured out is that there's a point backend that's hidden and that bronze trophies are worth 15 points, silver trophies are worth 30 points, gold trophies are worth 90 points, and platinum trophies are worth 180 points. So in other words, a silver is worth twice as much as a bronze, a gold is worth three times as much as a silver, a platinum is worth twice as much as a gold, and so on. And these points are calculated in the back end to give you experience. And that's what the level, the number in the star is, is your level. So at the beginning, going from level one to level two only requires 200 points. So you're going to do that really quickly. And even the 600 points for level three and 1200 points for level four. But I have my page open. I'm level 36. And at this point... And I'm looking, 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 looking. I think I need something like 170,000 points to get to the next level. Um, and so that's why you stay on those levels for a really long period of time. So basically, it's just an experience, RPG-like experience system that just gives you a little, like instead of showing the cumulative number like they do with achievements, which is fine, they made a back-end role-playing game system based on the value of trophies, which are hidden. But now you know the values of the trophies. 15, 30, 90, and 180. There you go. That's all you needed to know. Aren't you excited about that? No. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Chris, the final inquiry comes from Dylan. Says, hey, baby boys. As quite possibly your only listener using PlayStation View, I was pretty annoyed to find out in last week's episode that my service is going to end. I just double-checked my email, and I still haven't received any notice. (laughs) Aside from that, it's an interesting decision considering they bumped up prices just a couple of months ago to compensate for the cost they're citing. Best guess is they lost subs in response. I've, lo- I've long thought it was odd to brand it PlayStation and not more TV ubiquitous Sony, considering the service has absolutely nothing to do with video games. Do you think this is another example of Sony dropping the ball, or is the Sony name possibly just not strong enough to market the service into profitability? Love you. Keep Tuesdays weird again, or whatever you do, or whatever you NY Cali nerds do. Thank you, Dylan, for your kind. Well, you're going to be a Virginia nerd soon. Soon I will be in, uh, in the words of the late 90s, early 2000s rap duo Clips. I'm going to be in Virginia where ain't shit to do but cook. Wow. I'm I'm astounded that you even have that. Yeah. You know what I was thinking of? Death Stranding is the opposite of what you're doing. It is. Death Stranding, you're going going west. Right, exactly. This is the reverse Death Stranding we're calling it. Yeah. So 
we talked a little bit about this last week, but I did want to bring up again because Dylan brought this point up that other people had brought up to me privately, which is that I kind of am wondering how Vue would have done if they did market as Sony instead of as PlayStation, because it does make it seem that and you do, I guess, need a PlayStation device. But why not have it be a smart TV thing? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel you. I, I, it, I mean, is, is it? Are you really surprised that Sony is dropping the ball and hasn't emailed you that your service is ending yet? Uh, probably, that, dude, I, I can't believe that. I love that you found out from us before you, before they told you, and you're a paying like subscriber. It's like it's amazing. You'll get that email after View is shut off. Probably, yeah. So yeah, I think that is it. Sony dropping the ball? I don't know. I like that Sony experimented in the space. I'm not so sure. That being in cable and traditional cable is a wise financial decision. They've obviously deemed that not to be a wise financial decision. But from my perspective, I was just excited about the possibilities of having that as part of a larger offering that we're never going to see now. So that that's that's the bummer for me, because I, I again, I've been hoping for a PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, PlayStation View all in one kind of package that we're obviously not going to get. So, yeah, that's I guess it, I do think it would have done better under Sony. But at the same time, it's like. I don't know. There's so many. There's so many platforms that offer this. That at this point, I feel like they were hoping that they could maybe market to people to a gaming audience because they knew that like the more traditional audiences have probably already been swept up by the overwhelming majority of the competition. Uh, I think that was their angle. Was that okay? Hey, you know what? This is a, this is this is for people who you know are more into video games. This is here's some TV for you. And I don't think it was as resonant a message or a pitch as they were hoping it was. And uh, that's where we're at. Definitely. I mean, definitely so. I mean, it's hard to compete with streaming. It's hard to compete with sports piracy, which is really rampant because people because that's a lot a lot of the reason only people would have cable. And then they figured out. I mean, there are really easy ways to watch any NFL game you want. For instance, I pay for the Sunday ticket package because I just like the quality and I like to rely on it. I don't I feel like it's a little dishonest, but. You can go on Reddit and find any of these streams in 1080 or 4K, you know, no problem. So I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, when you nickel and dime someone enough. I think that they don't they cease having a problem or don't have as big of a problem with uh, nickel and diming you back. And that might be what happened with PlayStation View. So R.I.P. But Dylan, uh, let us know if you ever get that email. I doubt you will. But let us know. (laughs) Chris, that's all I have for this episode 72 of Sacred Symbols. Do you have any closing comments? I'm excited to play more Death Stranding, honestly. Me too. I'm pumped. And I'm uh, I'm, I'm feeling sick, too, which sucks. Mm. I, I, I started noticing in the middle of the show, I was like, damn, I got like a thing in the back of my throat and it hurts. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, go take some. Uh, it's the worst. Go take some Dayquil or something like that. Yeah. And, I heard uh, that messes up your liver. Does it? Yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense. It's alcohol, right? So I guess that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about oh, it? Oh, yeah. Whoops. Well, well, don't. I guess don't take Dayquil then. Do something else. I'll figure it out. Go take a homeopathic remedy of some yeah. sort. Yeah, I'll get the uh, I'll I'll uh, smear the oil of a snake on my face. There you go. Yeah, go get your go get one of those. Um, you know, like one of those indigenous. I don't know what they're called. Uh, they like squat, like crunch like peppercorns in them or something or like basil leaves. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, like no. a mortar. I think it's called. <laughs> you get you get some of the dried out roaches in your apartment and and all that, and you just and you smear. Yeah, you smear it under your nose like it's. Like you want to inhale it, you know? Yeah, like it's Vicks. Like it's Vicks Vapor Rub. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, Chris. Well, I'll see you uh, next time for more Sacred Symbols. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Appreciate all of you out there supporting us and giving us love and kindness. 
You don't have to literally give us love. You know, don't literally give us love. But yeah, please well, don't actually. I mean, avoid, avoid the literal love. Right. Well, literally doesn't mean it literally anymore anyway. So. Yeah, totally. But we appreciate your support, your kindness, your generosity. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. That's how you get Sacred Symbols Plus, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, early ad-free access to our show, and more. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much again. Love you. Goodbye. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bellow, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Rudon Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jagger, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Kodolak, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Moss, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Homeworld Hub, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, IQ Train, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Organic, Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Rainick, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that. 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.